Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. And welcome along to a very special Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 10, uh, and I believe we're up to episode number 12 now. And I'm speaking to you uh, just on 4 o'clock in the afternoon in Central Florida. And this is the second two-hour radio show I've been involved in today. Because this morning I was up at WWTK AM 7.30 on the breakfast show, which we enjoyed uh, immensely. I know a few of you were tuned in for that but uh, tonight we've got our usual two hours uh, of well news views rumour a bit of gossip uh, and some big guests as well um, and we'll have more about that in a moment but we have we one very see... big guest but I don't think he'll appreciate us saying that well that's a very good point yes uh, lots happening in the second half of the show tonight so stay with us those were the uh, dulcet tones of our executive producer who is up in London and over in London as well from where I am uh, at the moment, uh, and we'll come to Tim in a moment. But uh, first of all, uh, some apologies for absence. We asked you for these uh, last week. James Foster uh, tweeted at Radio Le Mans, and if you can tweet at Radio Le Mans rather than uh, uh, oh no, hang on a second, I've just thought how I could do that. Right, no, you can tweet at Radio Le Mans or at uh, Specky Tim tonight. You can do that on your BlackBerry, um, John. Yes, exactly what I was thinking. He said, taking it out of a very damp pocket. I'm broadcasting to you from what appears to be an oven uh, at the moment with no air conditioning in our booth here at Sebring. Uh, James Foster may miss some of the show due to half marathon training dressed as a race driver in a helmet. Really? James Scantlebury, for me, one of the better ones. Excuse about to get up and queue for the Shizuki Fish Market this morning to see the 5am uh, tuna auctions. He says, travelling around the world for seven months will provide plenty of great excuses. Uh, Kevin Brink, uh, he is hand-pollinating an artichoke field in uh, Indio. And that's coming from Carol Brink, his wife. Uh, Andrew Backer says, excuse me today, would you believe I've got scheduled to work Wednesday, 9 to 5, 50 weeks in a row. Very good. Uh, I like that. And this one I like too as well. No good excuse for missing Radio Le Mans. Work as usual. Uh, on my Friday, as my penance, says Derek Hirschlow, I will complete 50 Hello Alan McNish's and three days of flag, flag marshalling at Sebring Raceway. And this from Rose Shipley on behalf of a number of people. Apologies for actions for the hashtag IHG racing team. Currently on final approach to Orlando for Sebring 12 hours with Prio, Bill Oberlin, Joy Hand and Ashley Freiburg. I'm surprised they let them all on the same plane, if I'm honest. Uh, all good stuff then coming in uh, tonight. Great excuses for absences. Uh, I haven't bothered uh, 
I haven't bothered putting mine in because uh, it will never be as good, so I'm just going to listen as normal. And that was from Right Turn Lover. I quite like that one as well. And finally, from Mick Palmer, can't listen tonight live, but it's my 40th, so my wife and sons are taking me uh, for a Zimmer frame fitting. Oh, come on, Mick, there's plenty of life in you yet. And hello to Alan Jones, who's at the Birmingham versus Cradley uh, Speedway season as well. Keep those coming uh, to... Uh, at Radio Le Mans. Uh, this one's just popped in. Fantastic. Apologies. My backside seems to be stuck to the sofa following a 12-hour day. Uh, and Craig Miss says, I'm building an LMP1 Nissan out of Lego to bring with me to Silverstone. Well, that's, we'll finish on that one because on a pack programme tonight, Tim, we have what? Uh, we have a man who's not taking an LMP1 Nissan to Silverstone. Right. Okay, well, uh, that, that doesn't really narrow it down very much, does it? Uh, but we were expecting him to be taking LMP1 listens to Silverstone. Darren Cox will join us on the second hour of tonight's programme and he'll be live on the telephone. Uh, we also have uh, some other big guests uh, and uh, all the news. Uh, and all the news. All right, shall we start with the news as well? Uh, yes, let's start with the news. Um <laughs> I have to say, dear listener, by the way, if we sound slightly flustered at the moment, that's because we are. I'm I not. I'm, a, back. I'm the uh, the pure definition of being calm here. Okay. Uh, the last two hours, Tim has been very patiently trying to help us get round a connectivity problem here that we have at Sebring. Uh, and at this end, we've been doing it without any air conditioning. Uh, but I have cooked a pizza in the... Uh, in the booth in the last couple of hours. So, John, while you're joining us from an oven tonight, uh, our Mm -hmm. Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon, is joining us from the 1970s. Good evening, Nick. Hello there. Milton Keynes calling. I'm here to vote from the uh, Buckinghamshire jury. Hang on. You seem to be on a telephone. He is on a telephone. Ah, okay. That's not Um, me ringing, by the way. No, that's our air conditioning That's Dish Network, is it? It's actually, we have an air conditioning engineer. It's him that's ringing, not his phone. He just rings like that when he gets close to an air conditioning unit. (laughs) Um, So let's let's crack on then uh, and do the best we can with the technology that is available to us. Uh, All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Like you say, it was great. So we're going to start... Uh, mm. Not necessarily where you'd expect to start. Yeah, well, oh. that's. We never start where anybody expects. Is it to Northern start. European Formula Renault, Tim? No, it's uh, for slightly younger drivers than that. And we're heading across to Florida. All right. Yes. I'm there. You okay. are there. Uh, you're a little bit, uh, quite a long way, in fact, to the south of uh, uh, the place we're going to be talking about. Right. Uh, because we're going to be talking about some karting. Okay. And uh, uh, on Saturday, uh, there's a junior Rotax race at a tiny little uh, kart track uh, in Florida, um, which was won by someone called Enzo Fittipaldi. His grandson? I don't know how he's related to Emerson. Uh, But uh, 
but I just thought that was significant. More significant, though, was in the uh, category for the very youngest drivers at that kart circuit. Or the, the Bambino. Pretty much, yes. Um, in qualifying, the driver who took pole was more than two seconds a lap faster than the next best driver, who, is, who is the reigning champion. Well, Max, even. Go on, then. Um, setting a time of 54.735. The same driver then won the pre-final, having led every lap, and lapped at least three other drivers in a field of seven in the eight-lap race. His fastest lap there was a Mm -hmm. 53.963. He then led the final, which was another eight-lap race, from start to finish, and his lead at the end of the eight laps was 19 seconds. So he's got the best cart, then? Uh, and he's got the best uh, genetics as well, because his name is Seb Weldon. Oh, oh really? Yes. Oh. Uh, so that was the first race of his season. I'm absolutely delighted. It was his grandfather's birthday last week. Was it indeed? It is slightly better than the, the offspring of an well-known uh, driver, then. Over the weekend. Mick Schumacher threw it off. Oh, did he? Uh Yeah. In the German Formula 4 championship. I didn't see any other reports about it. I think it was three races. I think he he threw it off in one. That was the only one that got any reporting. Obviously. Uh, Also, uh, at the weekend, uh, this time on Sunday, Mm. um, I'd just like to uh, quote from uh, the uh, MSA circuit licence that's been issued to Silverstone. Mm Mm-hmm. It says the maximum number of starters on the Silverstone National Circuit is 34, or 30 for single-seaters. Right. Well, this was not single-seaters, so it's not restricted to 30, but there were 9,900 starters. Right. uh, For the Silverstone Half Marathon. Ah. Now, usually... Usually this is an event that uh, is packed full of racing drivers. In the past, we've seen people like Oliver Gavin uh, taking part and Rob Collard um, and many, many others. This year, there didn't seem to be so many. Um, The highest place racing driver I could find uh, was David Pittard, uh, who raced in Ginetta Juniors a couple of years ago, and he was 298th. Well, um, you read down all the names that you saw when you recognised. Yes. And then the next one I recognised uh, in 382nd isn't even a racing driver, but a photographer. Jacob Eadry was uh, 382nd. Well done, Jack. So he did... Uh, if there were any other racing drivers uh, outside the top 500, then uh, you need to run faster. Because uh, yes. I didn't read beyond the uh, top 500. Well, yeah, it was going really, really well. One had oversteer on the corners and spun off, which was a nightmare. And uh, the other, it was, it was just unfair. He lost, lost 4,000 places. And there weren't enough blue flags. <laughs> um, now, on to some sports car news. Go on. And uh, Guido van der Garde has announced that he'd like to race in uh, the World Endurance Championship this season. And he's also now he's got lots of money to do it with. About sixteen million new uh, dollars. It's a pretty good paid driver. Gets paid not to drive, isn't it? Yeah. He 
he got back his eight million that kept the lights on at Sauber at the back end of last year, and uh, about the same again. Uh, so somewhere between fifteen and sixteen million um, is what uh, he has come away with. But he has been saying on social media this week, Nick, that that's probably his chance of a Formula One drive gone and possibly gone forever. No, that, well, I think it's probably true because he, he uh, there, there aren't any um, other paid drives available at the moment and uh, another year on he'll be forgotten, he won't have the qualification for the super license anymore I don't think. Um, the other names, I think the amount of money he brings is, is nothing special, it's a, good, it's a goodly chunk but nothing special so yeah I mean he's not done badly at it. I mean but, but much in the way in which you know, it's amazing how money often goes to people who don't need it of course he's the son-in-law of a billionaire so whether he actually needs eight million is questionable. The second uh, seat at Moussa uh, is uh, only being taken uh, up to the point that its current occupant has to go and race in the uh, World Renault Series yeah, by Renault. Not a very active seat, is it, really? No. no but no, it, but and, it, it's, and it's a seat nonetheless. Well, that's a bit like saying, I'm going to go and sign for Ikea. They've got loads of seats that don't enter Grand Prix as well. Mm. Oh, but this one did enter. Oh, good point, yes. It, 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 that's a really good point, actually. It, it, it performed the minimum required, which means the minimum required is turning up and looking busy. Uh, they uh, scrutinied the car. Yeah, they didn't turn the engine on. No, they weren't able to turn the engine on, mm. as uh, as their engine partner had supplied them with the wrong software. Was it not a case that the software hadn't been written for the new ECU, or was that, or was that just a smokescreen? Uh the software uh, has been written for the new ECU, but only for the new engine as well. And right. because when they were writing the software uh, last summer, they thought, no one's going to be using a 2014 engine with a 2015 ECU. Why do we want to write software that does that? So they didn't. You can't really buy them, in fairness. Exactly. They've got two weeks to write it now, provided they get the money for the honey. Yes. Yeah, are we going to talk about F1? We are. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only problem I have here is I'm pretty certain that I'm going to be even more negative about it than John. Did John even see it? Oh, yes. Saw it all before I left on uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, I watched it uh, in its uh, entirety. Uh, and uh, I, I managed... And I was awake. Uh, and I had a sausage sandwich just before the end. Uh, so, all worked very well. I think... One thing we can say for certain is that Ferrari have sorted out the engine problems they had last year. The 2015 mm. Ferrari engine is a lot better than the 2014 one. Yeah, what else, what else can we say? Is, is that fair to say about Ferrari? I think the Ferrari engine is a significant improvement over last year's Ferrari engine, and that has benefited both Ferrari and Sauber. I think that... Um, Do you Mercedes think that Ferrari's aerodynamics are a whole lot worse? No. Really? Yeah. No. Because it performed really badly in traffic. Yeah, that's the, they reckon that's the new nose, though, isn't it? It's, um, the, way the, the way the nose is handling, it, it's handling the air in a very different way. And, of course, as we all know, it's all about how the air hits the car that will affect you in traffic. Let's be honest, though, when it was in traffic before, it couldn't catch up with it. Now, this year, you can actually catch up with the traffic, so it's more of an issue. <laughs> well, hang on. So, so this, is, this is brilliant. This is Nick looking really on the bright side. Last year, we weren't fast enough to get into the disturbed air and find out if our aero was any good or any bad. This year, at least we've managed to be able to get into the disturbed air, and it's not as good as we'd expected. That's fantastic. 
Well, you know, I think you know, I, I, prepared, I, I think you'll have to look on the bright side of life. It's, it's, it's one of the disadvantages of improving dramatically. Okay, yeah. uh, so that's uh, Ferrari. Uh, what about Williams? How do we assess their weekend? Uh, well, they were too conservative again. Again, I don't understand that. I really don't understand that. What? Why? They had a good opportunity to get a better result there, didn't they? They. I don't know. They. They. they didn't need to pull the car in when they did. Um, they should have carried on going, effectively blocking, even though the massive tyres were going off. Just there was no way on earth that um, Fettel could get past. So just keep on going, basically. I, I have to and say... Then, effectively, then you kind of go, well, you know, then in the end they gave, you know, go for three, four, five laps longer... Because as soon as they came in, Fettel's release, they were going way quicker. They also chose a terrible time bringing Massa out behind Ricardo. I can't remember behind somebody. Um, you know, I, again, I, I, you know, things, things, we said, things we said in the preview that are already coming true. Um, Williams being too conservative. Um, I, I did think that Vettel actually drove pretty well in that Ferrari, whatever <laughs> think about the... The aero. Uh, I thought the Williams team could have done better. Mercedes did exactly what we thought they would do. Uh, Toro Rosso, I think, I think Lewis is a bit better than I thought he was going to be. He just he literally he really hit the ground running, and, and, and unfortunately, I can't see Rosberg being able to touch him this year. What about? He found out that I tipped him for the championship, and his head's gone. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, Toro Rosso. Well, the biggest problem with Toro Rosso um, was when the cars were going round, they were going round as well as, if not better than, um, the Red Bulls. And more importantly, they were going round in a more uh, controlled way, despite having two of the rookiest rookies ever. And you yeah. kind of end up thinking that the, the sour grapes, which spewed forth from uh, various Red Bullites later on, made, they actually look quite silly, because whilst they were wandering around blaming... Uh, Renault left, right, and centre. They actually the gap between Toro Rosso and Red Bull are being closed. So obviously Toro Rosso have designed a better car than Red Bull have in comparison to last year's because they have the same engine. Yes. Uh, let's move on to those uh, Red Bull um, sour grapes. Sour grapes. Uh, are they going to quit Formula One? That's a really good question. Um, I doubt it. Um, it depends if someone comes in with it with the right amount of money. Obviously, uh, they might well sell Toro Rosso. Um, that's quite a good viable team. It's slightly in the wrong place, but it's a it's a it's a good viable team, and someone might want to pick that up and develop it. And obviously, the rumour is Renault. I'm not sure about that. Nick, Nick, don't you think all this is is the top man at Red Bull who controls? Let's not forget, as it stands at the moment, a fifth of the Formula One grid being four cars um, that do you not think they're just flexing their muscles to try and get some kind of performance break for their cars because you know I I can't remember them saying how rubbish Renault was when they run, won four championships straight off the back uh, straight off the bat it's, um, this is Christian just Christian Hoy I think the whole thing is, is that Red Bull have made themselves look really really stupid because if you actually issue a, an edict on a, a double a double thrust both from uh, um, Helmut Marco and the, by therefore Dismatis and on the other side by Christian Horner going how unfair it is it's not fair and even Adrian Newey chipping in with the sound grapes and then the only person in the whole of F1 who can find a back your opinion is Bernie Eccleston 
you've got some problems. Because everybody thinks it's just ridiculously rich coming from the boys who were the masters of uh, bending the rule, sorry, uh, finding creative ways of interpreting the rule book, for, and won easily for four years. Uh, that they've, they, because what they do isn't working now, and what Mercedes do, which is powertrain, admittedly, Mercedes cars is, car is brilliant, well, it is. And as, I think, you know, as Lewis Hamilton said, employ better people, you know, sharpen your race way better. You've got the money. We're not hearing at the moment Ron Dennis saying, oh, this is not fair. We've brought in a new engine partner and we're actually at a disadvantage because we're only allowed to use the average of the tokens that everybody else have got left for the whole of the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, I think that is a little bit unfair, if I'm honest. But we're not hearing that at all. What, you know, those guys have taken their medicine, if you like, turned the engine down, they did more. Uh, more laps and more kilometres at the weekend than they've done in the whole of testing, uh, at least with Jensen Button's car. Let's not talk about the other one so much. And they will be working flat out uh, back at base to, to make something happen. Well, they didn't want the other one to be racing in the first place, so that's why they dropped him at the end of last season. Well, yes, true, but they're not going to get Alonso back now, are they? Alonso well, they, they, at the they moment. Cert- they certainly would have wanted that car to be running round because they need, they need the data. Alonso at the moment is somewhere in Spain having a party, playing uh, loud music and playing on his PlayStation and having a wild old time and then when the phone rings and somebody says ah, it's, it's, it's a walkie dubber he's quickly going, oh sorry I can't remember anything, I can't remember anything and when Ron says, he says, Ron who? Ron, it's, is it still 1995? Puts <laughs> the phone down, goes back to his party. He's not coming back to, he's not coming back to Formula One this season. He's t- he's having too much. And he, hang on, wait a minute. He's putting a phone call through to Porsche again to try and get a P1 seat, even as we speak. Well, he he's, needs to hurry, desperate. otherwise Gaze Vendergaard will get it. Well, one available. Well, a... uh, and anyway, I, I personally think he'll be back from Malaysia. So there we are. So Dive. Do do, yeah. I do as well. Okay. Uh, so Toro Rosso is going to be sold to Renault, and Red Bull is going to be sold to Audi. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's rubbish. Toro Rosso may well be sold to to Renault, and that would make sense on a number of levels. Um, running two teams isn't necessarily the answer these days. Um, it, it was an answer to a question that ended up never being asked about four years ago, five years ago. Especially if, if teams carry on collapsing, we're going up with three car teams soon. Um, you don't want to be running six cars, do you? No. And you know, no, that is a fair point, Tim. That is a fair point. So, um, I just think it's, it's really disingenuous. It was, it was, it, you know, at a time when, you know, F1 needs a bit of positive PR, it's being shot in the, you know, shot in the backside by Red Bull, much as it was immediately last year when they said the whole thing was awful. And, and I don't know why they think anyone should have any sympathy with them. Because... You know, nothing that Mercedes has done is outside of the rules. Nothing that, you know, they've just done it better. More importantly, Ferrari has shown the massive gains you can make. If, you know, if if Renault made the same gains on their engine as Ferrari had, we know that the Red Bull wear know it's pretty good. They may have tweaked them too much this year. They would be much, much closer than Ferrari to to Mercedes. But the fact that they can't get their team to do it with no sort of money, it's your own fault. Sort it out. Don't blame anyone else. Can I ask a really, honestly, this is a really honest question. The way Red Bull are going on now about this situation, and 
you know, and particularly the way they're dealing with their engine partner who've brought them for world championships, well, actually eight world championships because there's four drivers and four constructors, does it not slightly, or more, even more than slightly, do you not think it slightly devalues what they've done in the past? Because what it looks like there is that they they were bad winners and they are even worse losers. Absolutely. It, it, you know, they, 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 you know, they haven't got an awful lot. The only goodwill they have left is the fact that everyone likes Danny Rick. But effectively, everyone's got, got very bored of whinging last year. They're carrying on whinging and, and they're washing the dirty in the pot. They're just basically saying it's all Renault and no one believes that. And, you know, I don't understand why, I don't understand why they think these, this kind of, you know, plotting and briefing against is going to work. They're not briefing against somebody, they're briefing against Mercedes, who are a massive, massive organisation and can certainly stand up for themselves. So, you know, politically it's a miss, it's a miss, they're trying to play under Bernie, but, you know, Bernie, is, I think he's still having issues with fiddling under Rome Burns, there's bigger news about the lack of a German Grand Prix. F1's in an absolute parlous state, and what they actually need to do is, which they will never do, is they need to pull together, get through the next few months, see where they stand at the end of this season, which is obviously we, we know that Lewis Hamilton, barring uh, mechanicals, is going to win it. Um, much as we knew Sebastian Vettel was going to win on the two or three, and much as we knew Michael Schumacher was going to win on two or three. Michael Schumacher won the 2002 World Championship by the French Grand Prix. So it's not like we've never had domination before. The French Grand Prix is one after halfway, everyone, by the way. Um, you know, so I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this self-destruct mode is so ingrained in some members of the Formula 1 fraternity. But yeah, you, when you start off with what you can only describe as a, as a complete dog's breakfast of a race with cars not turning up, cars turning up, one team's gone bust over the wind, the other team can't start with anything enough money, three cars don't make the start for various... One, one, unfortunately, very unlucky for Altieri. Two cars blow up. Two teams are blaming their engine manufacturer. Uh, a team which can't even, isn't even allowed to run for legal reasons, actually becomes the star of the race. You kind of go, what the hell's going on? A uh, couple of uh, tweets into Adspec Entertainment. Uh, Stefan and Michael Hetheridge, uh, Hetherington saying, uh, if Alonso is busy partying, what was he doing in the McLaren simulator today? Uh, and uh, Stefan saying, he was at walking today doing simulator work. Was that really him? Has he hired a body double? I think uh, it could all could all be that. It won't be. It won't be the real Alonso. And I've just retweeted. Um, I, I was being slightly sarcastic when I was saying that, gentlemen. Uh, Richard Leach has just tweeted the latest essential team wear for Red Bull Racing. Uh, there's a nice picture there, and uh, I have retweeted that as well. Uh, Sebastian Tenkat says, uh, maybe Ferrari's engine was just easy to improve, to improve i.e. the base was better uh, and uh, a number of people uh, say, uh, are saying, including uh, Miles Cook about uh, Red Bull Racing um, say the core team at MK are still working their whatnots off and I'm sure they're not uh, uh, particularly enamoured of what's being said uh, around them uh, as well, which is actually a very good good point because whatever else is happening, you know that the guys on the ground are always giving uh, of their best. Uh, only 15 cars took the start, uh, and what did we have? Uh, 11 cars finished. Uh, we only had seven cars finish in Australia a few years ago, and in fact, only six were classified when That's last year. 
was that last year? Yeah. Oh, we got loads last year. Did yeah. we? I thought it was last year that we had a really. No, we, we've often we've often had low low car counts in, in Australia because we've had a, a nice selection of massive accidents in the first corner, which takes out loads of bits of car. Normally, we have Schumacher cars in fairness. Well, there's also um, uh, drivers who uh, drive into the pit wall on their way into the pits, aren't there? That was yes. that in Adelaide. Was that Adelaide? Was it? Yeah, it was it's been um, you're older than you think. Yes, you are older than you think. But they've been in Melbourne for 20 years, haven't they? Yes. And David yeah. Coulthard was the one that did that. Yeah, they went in 90... The first race, I think, was 96. And he's been driving since 94. Yes, although he did do Australia in... Oh, yes, he did do Australia in 94, because it was the end of the season that year. Yes. Um, there's one team we haven't mentioned yet. No, he didn't do Australia in 94, because Nigel Mansell did it. Mm. Yes. And won it. Who haven't we mentioned yet, Tim? Nick? Who have we mentioned? Yes. What team? or Yes, yeah, which team? Uh, Mama? No. Uh, no, we did mention them. Uh, Force, Force India. India. They got a point. Mm. They trolled round. Their engine didn't blow up much. Nick Hulkenberg was alright. Well done, then. Uh, a bit anonymous, though. Yeah, well, that's not surprising, because, again, they hadn't got very much running. I mean, you know, you can't really, you know, there's, there's no, nothing getting away from the fact that the whole weekend was a complete disaster apart from if you were um, uh, Mercedes or possibly Sebastian Vettel or, or, or actually the end result for Felipe Nazar. Mm. I, I'll tell you what, guys, uh, you can say what you like. It was the, actually, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a bit of credit here, Nick. Um, you were right. It just took them a lot, year longer than what we expected because you predicted carnage and people getting it wrong um, for the start of the new regulations and it, it wasn't as bad as what you thought this year it is and clearly Renault have gone the wrong way um, it, it could have happened a year ago it didn't perhaps some of their engine inadequacies were I think it did uh, happen a year ago but it happened equally to everyone so nobody knows yes it. that's a good point that is a good point and I, I just I just think that there's actually, it's actually quite a bit of fun to see. I mean, it didn't turn the grid upside down other than for the guys at Sauber who did rather better than perhaps they might have expected normally. And McLaren who did uh, not as well as they might have expected normally. Correct. But the it would be nice to see some different results. And, you know, we're so used to all this reliability. Mm. But in some ways, it adds a bit of spice to it. Because honestly, I watched right to the end thinking, all right, what's going to happen next? When is somebody's engine? Somebody's engine's bound to go. Something's going to happen here. Something's going to f- fall off. Or I maybe mean, we had problems with wheel nuts. A couple of people having uh, left rear wheel nut problems. We had quite a lot of uh, issues with pit stops. Everybody looked rusty. It looked, It looked. I mean, you're sounding like you're from the 1970s, Nick. It looked a bit like the first race of a 1970s or a 1980s season where people had been off and hadn't seen each other for six months. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's a fair comment. I, mean, I think some of, the, some of the pit stop issues may well be, um, you know, that there's been changes to the way the nuts are put on because of the, no, the, the fixes, because they have a lot of people use these, these blown hubs which had different expansion um, properties than they probably expected, and they haven't been able to run them in proper heat because they tested them in, uh, in Spain. And even hotter, of course, in two weeks' time, or ten days' time. Yeah. 
let's move on to uh, a race that's uh, scheduled much later in the season. That's the German Grand Prix. It's not happening. As we predicted, uh, because we have one circuit uh, in Germany that can't hold it and one that doesn't want to. Well, one circuit is, is, won't hold it, and the other circuit is only contract to hold it every other year and still loses money then. I mean, it's uh, yeah. a microcosm of the problems of F1. And if the, the, team, the, the team that's winning all these races is Mercedes, one of their drivers is Nico Rosberg, the man who won four World Championship prize last in Sebastian Vettel, and they can't get bums on seats at the Grand Prix. Or they can't get them at a great enough rate because of the money they have to charge because the sanctioning fee is too high. Mm. And how is this tenable? You know, it's, yeah, it's all very well going to give an Azerbaijan and um, any other quasi-dictatorship you wish to go to, but does it really do what it's supposed to do? And I think the answer is no. I have a question, by the way, that's come in from uh, Mortis Madman. Um, what was the bet that Nick and Tim had last week? The problem is neither of us can remember what the bet actually was. Uh, Mortis Madmen will tweet it to at Spectatorman, but it was about Force India versus Sauber, was it not? Oh, well, that th- means I've lost. I think I said that the Saubers would do better than the Force Indias. I think you did. And I think oh, I'm afraid... I've lost. Nick. We never actually defined what it was, though, did we, thank goodness? Well, there was some kind of forfeit, wasn't there? Yeah, we never defined the forfeit, thank no. you for that. But no, I think, we, right, I, think, I think I did lose, you're right. We were asking for uh, suggestions from the collective, weren't we? We Although, never accepted it. I'm, I'm, I'm when we, shoulder in these, definitely. When we did ask for those, uh, most of the ones I saw seemed to assume that I would lose. Well, um, there you are, you see. Just goes to prove that your, your belief in the, in the Ferrari and testing comments is greater than my belief in a bit of uh, uh, Mercedes um, engine power. Yes. Well done, you won, and then we'll obviously work out what the forfeit is later. Thanks, most. It was, money it, was a, it was a lot around Silverstone, uh, naked by tennis shoes, wasn't it, uh, Nick, at the WEC? I don't think it, nothing was actually ever agreed, and that's the thing. <laughs> right turn, lover. And more importantly, I don't, I don't think it's very fair on what's likely quite a large crowd to, to, to have, to have to look at that. Oh, we could do it when it's getting dark. Uh, right Turn Lover uh, says, to a certain extent, F1 reliability is the problem for the smaller teams. Typically, no results and therefore no points and no money to be picked up easily. That's not a bad point either. Uh, ben Clark has tweeted at Team saying, the mixing up of F1 teams this year would make for an exciting season if the top two places weren't effectively decided already. Yeah, uh, well, that's only that. if your entire life... Uh, is uh, revolving around who finishes first. There are still some great battles for other positions. Who's going to finish third in the championship? Mm. Yeah, it's not... You know, yes, I understand that, and, and, and people like me find that interesting, but I can understand how the great masses really don't uh, key onto that at all. Uh, it was. Who said it was the best, uh, best Grand Prix ever, by the way, at the weekend? No one. Everyone said it was rubbish. No, that's not true. The, uh... Oh no! The organisers, the organisers, <laughs> best Grand Prix. But what he meant by that was the event, not the actual race. Uh, and who has launched the hashtag today? Make let's make love, not fight, and go racing or something. It's hashtag don't fight race, isn't it? Who's launched that? Is it Guido Radigada? No, but it is sober. Can you believe that things are just dying down, and they've launched a hashtag don't fight race? To which many people on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective have added their own. Only one or two of them are, were, are, are rebroadcastable. But 
hashtag how about honouring your contracts hashtag what about the bloke who kept your lights on last year hashtag why have you got five drivers for two seats etc well they now only have four drivers for two seats because they have uh, released uh, Gede Redegaard from his contract uh, so it's now just Nasser and Ericsson and uh, Sutil and uh, Simone de Silvestre. Oh, hang on, hang on. We've just blown the story then, haven't we? Now we know what's really happening. Sauber are buying Red Bull uh, to be able to find places for their other two drivers. Oh, no, hang on, that doesn't no. work because there's only two drivers in the seat. They've, uh, they've, uh, those cars have got drivers already and uh, Sauber have uh, spent all their money paying off... Uh, uh, Guido van der Garde and their lawyers um, so they can't afford to buy a team and besides which it's being sold to Audi no okay if Audi wanted to go Formula 1 racing they wouldn't buy a team they'd start one no they'd buy one because uh, heritage even a small amount of heritage is uh, very important and Red Bull's heritage obviously goes back to the mid 90s but who yeah. would want to buy into a whinging set, a whinging heritage from the last two years? Audi's got a better heritage in motorsport than Red Bull. But it it's hasn't. Drink- it doesn't have any Formula One recent Formula One heritage. Red so, Bull is a drinks company, not an F1 team. Exactly, but it was Stewart. Yes. If they were buying Stewart Grand Prix, different matter. If it was going to be called Audi Stewart Grand Prix, but it's not. It would just be called Audi. Yeah, well, the issue okay, really is, is that do you not believe that, uh, that, that, that why would Audi want to get involved until the regulations change? So they aren't going to want to be involved until 17 anyway. Correct. Oh, that was something very loud. Did someone drop something, John? Not me. No, it's just the door being open and closed uh, because people are just walking in and out of our studio completely and utterly uh, disregarding the fact that we're doing a global radio show. <laughs> uh, so we mentioned uh, Valtteri Bottas uh, briefly earlier, yes. um, who hurt his back while just driving around in qualifying. No, I didn't see. I, did, 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 I never. I couldn't see qualifying because I was doing something far more important, which called an actual race. Um, does anyone know? Did he like do the thing which um, Justin Wilson did and jar it over a curve or something? No, Nick. Nick, I watched every session. I watched every session over the weekend, and I, I have to say, the early sessions I thoroughly enjoyed. I thought that. Uh, UK commentators on Sky were very good there. Uh, the, the knowledge that was coming through and the, the, the amount of information that was coming through, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And there was no point at all during that coverage that I saw anything that you might have thought would have been bad enough to jar someone's back. Now, I've spoken to a few drivers here, funny enough, at Sebring about it. But all of them say it doesn't take that much particularly guys who have had uh, LMP1 or other single-seater experience, because nowadays you are sitting in such a recumbent position with your legs so far above your backside, you are at a very unusual angle, and any uh, hard hits, even not that hard hits, on the bottom of the car where you're bottoming the car out and going over crossing the curbs is putting a huge amount of stress in the into the bottom of the back uh, and the, the last few vertebrae. And I think that's what the issue is. I think it's down to this thoroughly recumbent um, thoroughly recumbent position that they have at the moment. 
Uh, Bottas has gone on holiday to Indonesia. Well, hopefully he's taken a little chiropractor. To uh, recover. Well, what I liked was the, 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 actually the fastest and the most uh, adept thing that Williams did all weekend was when they massively distanced themselves the chance of Susie Wolfe ever driving the car in a race. I thought the interview uh, where... Um, I can't remember who it was from the team uh, now. It's either Pat Simmons or Claire. I think, I think Claire was Pat, Pat Simmons. Simmons Pat Simmons. Um, they're, easy to, who, they're easy to mix up those two, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> stop it, Nick. Uh, Pat Simmons, if you didn't hear his interview on Sky, uh, said, at the moment we don't have a reserve driver. Correct. They've got a test they've driver got and they've got a development driver. Yes, their right. test, test driver, driver is, is not Alex good enough Lynn. and hasn't got a super license. The reserve driver is too young but does. And I'm no, neither of them have a super license. No, the but test um, Alex Lynn would qualify for one. Alex Lynn could qualify for one, but he does not yet have one. No, but you know what I mean. But he How? is he's the test driver and Susie is the development driver. How is Susie Stoddard allowed to drive in Friday sessions if she hasn't got a super license? Because anyone can drive in a Friday session. You just need an apparently, international B or something like that. Well, well, apparently not Guido van der Garde on the Friday because the reason he was kept out of the car was because he'd forgotten to apply for his super license. Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of misinformation I, there. He you also didn't have a seat. You don't need a super license to qualify. I, I, in fairness, I was shouting at the TV at that point, but um, and I was told off thoroughly by the responsible adult for being a grumpy old man and shouting at the TV. But what did you bet? I, um, I had just got up, so it was really my thought. Okay, just a little bit of misinformation. So uh, yes, the other thing to remember, of course, is there are a number of drivers knocking about who who, who Williams might decide they want to they want to bring in you know, from left field entirely. True. You know, would you think, right, we wanna, we've got a reasonable car, we want to get points in, do we bring Soft and Suttle in for a race? He'd probably give you $8 million. He'd give you some money, and he, mm. will get, he will get a reasonable result out of it. Fair point. Fair point. I can't, uh, can't disagree with that. Uh, it's coming up to a quarter to nine in the UK, quarter to five here in Sebring, Florida. Still some cars out on the track. The rather throaty noises that are going on behind me leads me to believe that it's HSR that's out there. MX5. That's MX5? Yeah. You're kidding me. They sound fantastic. Is that Shay uh, Adam? We... It is Shay Adam in the background. Hello, Shay. Is she, is she still feeling cold? Have they got no air conditioning? <laughs> no, no. She's actually said she's uh, almost at normal temperature in this kind of uh, ridiculous heat. Tropical plants are wilting at the moment and uh, she's just taking her third jumper off. Uh, I, I was hoping to have been able to tell you what was going on in MX5 qualifying um, however we don't have any time in scoring here, as well as everything else that we don't have and they, they do have another session tomorrow so uh... yeah and we'll be bringing you some coverage of that on Radio Le Mans don't forget IMSA Radio tomorrow as well uh, getting set for the weekend if you think it sounds like I'm talking from a laboratory I'm not this is our booth uh, but we haven't it's Sebring and although it's not the first race of the season, they are evoking tradition and making it feel like the first race of the season. And um, things weren't quite ready. The connectivity is perhaps not where we would want it to be, he said diplomatically. Uh, Nor the air conditioning. No, but there's a chap who's now been working on it for three and a half hours and he still hasn't got it to work properly, which is ironic because the unit he took out might have been a bit noisy, but it was working. 
Uh, keep the uh, keep this, the tweets coming into at Spec Entertainment uh, and also to at Radio Le Mans, the responsible adult is uh, sitting next to me watching Tweet Deck. We're sharing a computer here uh, because of the heat. Um, well, what have we got now? Can we move on from Formula yes, 1? Yes, we're now? moving so, away from Formula 1. We're going yes. to uh, Cars with Roofs. Excellent. On, uh, but we're not moving away from Australia. No, V8 Supercars. V8 Supercars. Marvellous. Um, and uh, the um, much heralded return of two-time V8 Supercar champion Marcus Ambrose um, has fallen slightly flat uh, as he's decided to step back from racing. Already, after two events. He didn't do great, did he, in the Clipsil 500? He qualified, he qualified 24th, better. finished 16th yeah. uh, on Saturday, uh, and then uh, on Sunday qualified 9th and finished 12th. So what's the problem? And then at uh, Melbourne, where they had a non-championship race, or four non-championship races uh, at Albert Park, his best result was 18th. Do you know what though? You can't knock them for having non-championship races. Yeah, that, that that is something. That again, to go back to how we're sounding tonight, it is all very nineteen seventies having non-championship races. I, I do like that. Uh, Marcus said, uh, "This is a decision which has been hard to make. It's become clear to me over the first two events of the season that I need more experience in these cars to do what's required and to be competitive." We might have to get Krilzy on to explain this, to, 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 to actually tell us just exactly how much the cars have changed since Ambrose went away to his uh, American stock car, Sojourn, and has since returned. Because there was a bit of a taran tarar about him coming back um, and you know how he would jump back in and he was just the sort of thing that had been missing and what a superstar he had been. Um, and it's... as. Tim has rightly said, Nick, it's been a, somewhat of a, a, a damp squeak. Mm. Uh, he's going to be replaced uh, in the next event, which is now just 10 days away at Simmons Plain, uh, by Scott Pye, who was due to be the second driver in the endurance races uh, later in the season. Um, but we're not sure whether he's going to be in that seat for the whole of the year. Um, but uh, it could be that Marcus Ambrose isn't back until uh, they do uh, Bathurst. Oh, really? Right, right through till the end of the season. Well, okay. Um, sad. It's a shame because I say it was much, much vaunted. Uh, it is now just after a quarter to nine. Midweek Motorsport at Entertainment at Radio Le Mans and previewing the. Uh, Sebring 12 hours a little bit later on in the programme two guests in the second half of tonight's show including Darren Cox from Nismo the man at the head of Nismo Global he'll be talking to us about their change of plans with the LM uh, sorry GTR LM uh, for this season and we've been taking your questions for that keep them coming as well interesting chat on Facebook about that over the last few days. Tim, where will you take us next? Uh, I just have a quick question. You, uh, Marshall Pruitt, is he there at Sebring or is he at Barber? I think he is here, although I have not had an official sighting of MP. Okay. Uh, uh, she says, yes, he's, she's seen him. But she has uh, seen him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that may become relevant later on. But first, we're going to talk about bikes. 
Hooray! Uh, because uh, MotoGP has been testing in Qatar. I know. Uh, oh, it wasn't until it started raining. Uh, that's, that's, that's not what we expected, is it, really? It's not something that's uh, happened recently in Doha, is it? Well, uh, the, uh, I, I must be, I'm not an expert on the meteorology of Doha, but it's a desert, so it uh, theoretically doesn't rain much. Mm. Um, it does rain in the desert once in a while, but normally it is sharp but quite short but if you've ever been in the desert when that happens it's an amazing sight because the desert turns green for about 10 minutes as everything that's been lying dormant under the sand pushes itself up and pollinates super quickly it is quite remarkable if you see it happen sorry I got a bit excited that was a bit Discovery Channel for you there wasn't it sorry move on that's good so what happened in this test uh, Nick Audi were top. Audi were top? Yeah. Ducati, you mean? <laughs> oh, du- Ducati. Ducati, Ducati. Uh, top Ducati. both days with their new bike. Okay. Um, which was interesting. Um, it doesn't, it, obviously the bike's better. Didn't they see sim- a signal complete um, renaissance? Of course, the bike was always quite quick over a lap. The problem was it didn't have long run pace because of the way it was using the tyres. So... Um, they've still got a fast bike uh, it's obviously really about whether they can be fast over the full 45 minutes of the race rather than a couple of laps but it's a big bonus to them after many years of problems just that uh, does pre-season testing really have any major impact on what we might see when the uh, when the racing starts which seems to be very late this year for no, it's always, it always starts a week or two after F1. Um, this time F1 hasn't got back-to-back. So I think actually starting a week earlier than normally. It normally starts, it's been starting the last week of uh, March or what. I think, you know, if the Yamahas haven't had a particularly good time in Qatar. It's not particularly suited, and they did much better in Malaysia. Um, obviously, uh, Mark Marquez is still very, very fast. Um, it looks like the Ducati may well be in the mix now for the occasional very strong result. I don't think there'll be a for the championship, but I'll be able to upset the uh, the normal three or four at the front, which is great. Any more to say about MotoGP before we move on, Nick? Yes, it, it's, it, it's starting this weekend, and we're all very excited about it. Under the lights, it's always great. Make sure you're watching HD. Lovely. <laughs> uh, next, uh, we're going to uh, go to Italy, uh, because Nick was there at the weekend. I was. For the Hankook 12 Hours of Mugello. Envious, very, very envious. Lovely. Uh, how was the food? Uh, the food was excellent. Um, uh, Johnny and I had a little tour around um, Florence. Uh, on the uh, we were uh, waiting for our flight, so we, we, we were all touristy. Very nice. Went over the oldest bridge with shops on it or something. We we saw where the Saint David is. Went to the, down stop, the Domo. Stop. stop. Hang on. You went over the oldest bridge with shops on it or something. I have to say, uh, Johnny told this story a lot better. Yeah, well, uh, I, you, know, you know, I think the key thing really was we, we, we had a nice day wandering around in, in Florence and then we had a very large beer, so that was pretty good. What, what did they sell in the shops on the old bridge? Gold. Nothing but gold. It was dripping with gold like a, you know... If you've been to, um, yes. to parts of London which have got strong uh, Hindu populations, it was just like that, all amazingly intricate gold just cascading down. It's not the answer I was expecting, to be honest. Oh, selfie sticks. Selfie well. sticks. No, in the shops, it's in gold, but it was nothing but selfie sticks. The, 
the itinerant salespeople who in the past have been pushing, you know, sunglasses or, um, or bags of dubious uh, labelage, uh, apparently the only thing you could buy now was a selfie stick, and everyone was, was knocking selfie sticks out. It was amazing. Uh, I think anybody who carries a selfie stick should be uh, there. Should be a law passed that you could beat them to death with it. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not. I'm not sure that well made. If I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> those are John's views, and not those of Radio Show Limited. Uh, I'm sure you could <laughs> like me to point out. Uh, so, uh, Nick, uh, you've got seven minutes to talk about the race. Um, okay, I don't really need seven minutes because I think I think hopefully everyone's just listening to it on the archive. Um, I think the one thing I would say. In a weekend where one race series was spectacularly cocking up in every possible way, in every, you know, so much so that, you know, if, if, if Sky F1 starts saying things are bad, you know they are, because they, have, they are really rah, 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 because they, they feel they have to. Um, you can only marvel at what Creventic have done. And having been now to two non-Dubai events with Creventic, um, Zanvoort last year and, and here in Michelle, uh, this week it is just put on so well and so much in mind of the you know, of the um, the competitors and 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 it, they make it very easy to compete, make it very easy to meet. And having spoken uh, to Graham about some events he's been to recently in the states, that's not the case he's he's found in some in some of these places. But you, you just marvel at a series that that has kind of come from nothing and can get seventy three entries. Um, and the only complaint was there were a couple of petrol pumps short because they went from 38 to 73 entries in the year. Um, I, the think, race itself I think was the great. thing about that, uh, Nick, was I did a quick uh, bit of mental arithmetic whilst the race was on. And by the way, I thought uh, that you guys, the team out there, Graham, you and Johnny did a cracking job. And I was transfixed watching the, the feed which would have made no sense at all without you guys talking about it. And it seemed like you were all having a great time, very envious. Um, at the Nürburgring, there are sometimes as many as 16 cars to one petrol pump. And that's one petrol pump in between two garages, which can have eight cars in each. Um, you had four gasoline pumps, four petrol pumps. So that would be 64 uh, cars to, if it was the same ratio. One diesel pump. Now, I think you had 78 cars, of which I think you said 70 or 72 were petrol. Of so, the entry, 70 were petrol and 3 were diesel. All right, okay. So we weren't a million miles away from the sort of ratio cars to petrol pumps as we have at the Nürburgring. I think the difficulty in it was where the pumps were located at the start of the, the pit lane and... Of people having to make a decision and coming in and then having the queue because at the Nürburgring you do a bit of a deal with the guys who you're sharing the two garages with and you try and find a little two minutes where you could get in and on the pump and do what you need to do it helps of course that the laps are nine minutes long and uh, it's you know you can obviously time things time things that way but uh, I, I agree with you. I think it was a great event. I was transfixed to the audio and video. Uh, great racing. Uh, enough interest right the way through the field to keep us uh, on the edge of our seats right the way through the race. I, I think what's interesting, Nick, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this, it's an, it is an event, a Cravontic event, 
aren't necessarily aimed at attracting spectators. If the spectators turn up, it, that's fine. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think they, they, they actually lend themselves very well to the coverage that the combination of, you know, of Radio Le Mans and Creventi give them, where people kind of watch them at home and, 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 and dip in and dip out in true uh, endurance fashion. I think, you know, actually, you know, at the, there was no real desire. To, I don't think they were, so I'm pretty sure it was free entry again. Um, mm-hmm. It was an incredibly friendly atmosphere. You know, the paddock was, we were waffling, you know, it was just great. And I think, that, I, I, see, I did see a few. I saw probably a couple of hundred spectators um, dotted around the track, most of them obviously local. Um, but it's, it's really about putting on an, an event that works on, you know, for, as a race event, and obviously it's now an international series, and there's a lot more people now doing the series, and everyone's kind of enjoying it. Um, the right level of competition, but also flipping on to that, um, it's now got a, you know, a bit of a profile internationally because they've been clever enough to work out the value of the correct media. Are you listening to Midweek Motorsport? It's just on uh, six minutes to nine. Let's uh, have a look at what's coming in on the social okay. media. Can, can I say one more thing? Yeah, of course you can. It's the first time I've ever bought a beer by a, a series organiser. So um, if Gerard Neveu wants to buy me a beer at Silverstone to equalise, that's fine. <laughs> Other alcoholic drinks are available. Right, <laughs> uh, lover racing. Uh, at RC Racing, sorry, uh, says to all of us, a couple of years ago the MotoGP race in Qatar was delayed a day because of rain. Yes, you're absolutely right, I'd forgotten uh, about that. Uh, the uh, Alfred Wallace at Cadfig says, I'm half expecting in the new James Bond film uh, 007 to have a selfie stick that turns into a sword and Q to be complaining and muttering about cutbacks. Very good. Uh, and uh, Andrew H says uh, for F1 we've talked about super licences uh, the sporting regulations uh, regulation 4.1 all drivers uh, competitors and officials participating in the championship must hold an FIA super licence what is participating though Are, is free practice participating that's your question and Dave Alcock uh, says hey hey John the Magello team did a great job Creventics uh, race control was excellent. Congratulations all round. Uh, that actually is a good point, Nick, because there was a couple of times that snatch tractors were sent out, and um, the uh, errant cars were taken away. Code sixty was used where it needed to be, but it was used sparingly, and uh, we got back to green uh, straight away. I. I, I, honestly, uh, for the amount of cars that were there, the diversity of cars were there, and the disparity of of some of the driving experience of the guy, as well as the cars, again, it's another big thumbs up to to Kelly Villams and uh, I know Kelly Villams wasn't very well in the lead up to this, and uh, Natasha had to do a lot of the, the heavy lifting. They've clearly got strength in depth in their organising team and in in their race control. Nick. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. Yeah, they, they, it was all put on very well. It was all, any little problems were sorted out. Uh, it's rare to find people without a bad word to say. And, you know, they've got a, uh, another race in six weeks in Zanvoort, which we, which we know will be brilliant. And then, of course, we've got the rest of the city. They've got two, two 24 hours after that. So it's a, uh, a very healthy situation with a large number of those teams now getting very familiar, which is now for half to help me. Um, <laughs> Because um, you're getting a lot of return, return visits, you know, certainly from the Zandvoort race, and, and of course from, from Dubai as well. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I did notice some of the cars were wearing the same numbers that they'd worn in Dubai. Well, we, we look forward to the rest of the International Endurance Series, the FIA Series that Kravetnik are running. Nick, once again, thanks to you, Graham Goodwin and Johnny, for your sterling work of the weekend. And thank you for being with us in this first hour of Midweek Motorsport. Nick Damon, our F1 correspondent. Thanks, Nick. Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway... So there we go, we've got through the first part of the programme, uh, despite some uh, rather challenging technical difficulties, and thank you for staying with us. Uh, in hour number two, we'll have more news. Uh, I'm going to try and uh, do a little bit of rewiring here so that we can get a couple of extra voices on. Share Adam is with me uh, at the moment, and we may well have a, a studio guest uh, as well. Uh, we've got a couple of people coming on the phone that we will be talking to at the moment and they are two of the bigger stories of the week away from Formula 1 albeit but still plenty to come keep tweeting at Specutainment at Radio Le Monde you're listening to Series 10 Episode 12 of Midweek Motorsport and it's live for another hour Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com Hello and welcome if you are just joining along. It's the second hour of Midweek Motorsport. Uh, delighted that you can join us. John Hindorf over here in Sebring uh, at the moment. Tim Gray is up in London and tells me what, Tim? Uh, we have our next guest on the line. Which should be David Bartram from Motorbase. Is that you there, Dave, on the other end of that there phone? Good evening. It certainly is, Mr Hindorf. How are you this evening? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. Thank you very much. Uh, Which for... part of the world are you hiding in now? Sebring, Florida, getting ready for the 12 hours this weekend. It's terrible, isn't and, it? Having uh, to go somewhere warm and sunny this time of year. <laughs> you've, you've knocked that on the head absolutely uh, tremendously. Um, we had a little chat with you down at Monte Blanco a couple of weekends ago where you were uh, doing the pre-season test for, for Aston Martin. And by the way, your uh, comments to us that went into that programme have gone down very, very well indeed. And as we've got cars going out on the track behind me, you probably hear that. Uh, you've got some news for us, expanding your GT programme uh, to include a third car this year. Yes, we have. Yeah, we've got a third car. Um, we took it to Monte Blanco for a ride. It didn't get too much use, but uh, it was there. So it's going to come out in British GTs at the first round at Orton Park, so we will be going to three cars for that. And uh, obviously we're hoping to get an extra car out in the Blanc Pan series, the Endurance series, as the year goes on as well. So... Uh, Motor Basic expanding uh, within Aston Martin. Obviously, we've gone with the GT3 Aston, which is a brilliant car. And uh, looking forward to sort of plodding on this year and making the team bigger and more successful. Just, I don't want to sort of go over all ground that we did on the interview whilst we were down there, David, but it, it seems to be a good time to be in GT racing uh, in terms of not just the quality of the competition uh, and the action that's going out there on track, but... As a business case, uh, as a business case, the next person who slams that door, I am going to hit with something. Uh, as a business case, it, it seems to make good sense at the moment, David. Yeah, I mean, everything has to have a business case, John, and that's vital when you are running the business. It's very easy to forget that because the passion of motorsport takes over. Um, but the GT3 platform and upwards provides a perfect business case and a perfect business environment. For the for the you know for motorsport within GT racing, you can use the car. It's a bit like a Mastercard. You can put it in your transport and use it anywhere. There's so many places you can go racing with a GT3. Um, you know whether it's domestic series, European series, or further afield, it's got its own business case that stands up on its own merits every time. 
And the liaison with Aston Martin, you've been a Porsche man for very many years uh, in a number of different championships, of course, running in the the Porsche Carrera Cup in the UK. Uh, Moving to Aston Martin, that that must have been a considered decision as well. It was. You know, we've been with Porsche a long time and it's a great, great brand. And as I said before, I do miss it. Um, You know, we were Carrera Cup and then we went to GT3 with with the GT3R which was a great car, but obviously Porsche were coming to the end of their time with the GT3R. It was getting a bit long in the tooth. The new car is around, I know, but we haven't seen it yet. So we had to make a decision as a business. You know, there's, there's a balance of a fine line of value in the cars you've got, when to get out of them to get your money back in, and what you're going to move into. And if there was another Porsche available, we would have moved along probably. But at the time, we looked at the business case for it, and it was very much, you know, what do we do? Um, and the Aston's a great car, and it was there, sat there, and we were watching it in British GTs. It just seemed the way to go, and, and, and it's a move we, we made, and we've made it gladly now, and I think it's uh, a, good, a good car to work with, and that's why we've gone to three, because we think the platform's right for us. Uh, having worked with Porsche, which is one of, if not the, endurance racing sports car brand of the last 50-odd years, let's be honest, that the 911's been around, to go to Aston Martin, another big brand, was that important to you? There's, there's plenty of choice out there as far as, as GT3 is concerned, David, and to a certain extent at the GT4 level. But is it import, was it important for you to be able to go and put, out, put yourself out there with motorbase to have a, a brand like an Aston Martin that immediately is going to catch people's attention uh, and uh, catch their interest? Definitely. I mean, Porsche is a great car, and anyone wants to drive a Porsche. Um, we've had a lot of drivers come from Carrera Cup with us, but then you've got the other side of it. You know, a lot of the series now are based around the amateur drivers. They're the guys that mostly bring the money, and they need the right key ring to sling on the bar in the pub to say what they did the weekend. You know, that's the way I look at it. If you throw, no disrespect to Lawrence and Janetta, but a Janetta one doesn't cut it for some guys. Um, you know, you, if you put an Aston Martin key ring down, it's that's the car they want to drive most of the time, and that's what we believe that we've made the right decision. For, our, for the mix of professional amateur drivers we use in the, in the UK and British GT, um, and then obviously for Blancpain as well, it was the right brand, the right mark at the right time. So we went with that, plan, went with that brand. The, uh, the upshot of it is, though, that you have had to scale back some of your, your other commitments in, in motor racing, and I, I suspect you've done that with a heavy heart, David. Yeah, British Touring Cars has been a big part of motivation. It still will be. It's unfinished business. Um, but as I say, we, as, as you say the right words, business case for what you do. If you're going to be a commercial business, employ staff, take responsibility, you've got to do what makes money. And uh, at the moment for us, the touring car budget wasn't quite where it needed to be. It's the place to be in the UK. Um, so, you know, we, with heavy heart but a commercial reason and a commercial decision, we decided to um, go with our GT side more so. But we're, we're lucky in that respect that we've got two sides of our business. There's a lot of teams just got the one thing. So we, we're able to be fluid in what we do. Um, and I really enjoy the GTs at the moment. I enjoy the touring cars, but I really enjoy the GTs. So, you know, even though it was a difficult decision, the, the, other, the other thing we're going to get up to isn't exactly a bad thing, as you know. Oh, absolutely not. Um, you, you've got commitments, or you had commitments potentially to drivers this year in British Touring Car Championship. What will happen to those guys, David? Um, they'll be around. We, can, we hopefully will be out second half. Um, that's our target to... You know, to aim to be back at Snetterton for the second half of the British Touring Car season. And the two drivers we've got signed, which is Matt Jackson and James Cole, will be staying with us. Um, they, they fully understand the situation we're in and they want to be part of the team going forward. They know we've developed 
a new engine with the Ford EcoBoost for this year. So it's a shame it's not there from the start, but they understand and they'll be with us when the time comes. I was going to ask you about that because the, the way that Touring Cars has gone in the last few years is that it has heavily relied on independent teams like Motorbase, like yourselves, to invest in car building, engine tuning. Um, and you guys made the switch to the Ford, uh, to the EcoBoost version of the, of the Ford engine for what, again, you thought were uh, incredibly sound business reasons. And it's, it just hasn't, there's nothing wrong with the engine. It, you just haven't been able to attract enough financial support to make that work David is that basically I guess, I guess so I mean I don't think it's particularly to do with the engine it's, it's very hard commercial times you know we had Airways with us for six years a fantastic sponsor and then to go out into the marketplace and re, you know replace that that sponsor at this time has just proven difficult we had two things that were going along quite nicely and they fell on the last fence so you know we just took the decision to regroup and uh, sort it out without rushing because I don't want to go to the grid on the back foot financially or any other way. I want to go into the grid and do the job right. Um, the EcoBoost engine is fantastic. We, we've done a lot of testing with it, a lot of development work over the winter, and it plugs the gap nicely with the car. But uh, as I say, business case and commercial viability are the most important thing for survival. Is it slightly frustrating to you that we were down there in Monte Blanco talking to some of the guys, I was talking to some of the guys who have been with ProDrive at Aston Martin Racing for quite a while, and they were waxing lyrical about the days when Ford were last represented in the British Touring Car Championship, and the annual budget was 10 million quid. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, you know, I, I spoke with Andy Barrett of Ford recently, and he was telling me, well, he was in charge of the, the programme back in those days, funny enough, with ProDrive. And he was telling me some of the numbers, and I just stood there and couldn't believe it because the British Touring Car Series at the moment has actually got better numbers, better TV <laughs> figures, everything, you know, for much better than it was in the 90s. But obviously the major brands are not there at the moment. Is that what it needs, or can it survive with the, the privateer, the independent teams, and some of the big names? Andy Prio's back this year uh, racing, of course, for BMW. Those big names coming back can't do any harm, David. They can't do any harm, but they're going to have their work cut out, as Fabrizio and Alain Menu found out last year. You know, the, the British touring car is a, is, a, is a tough car to get used to at the moment, and it's took us a while as a team to get ahead round it, but we're there now. Um, but, you know, it's a tough nut to crack. The British touring car drivers at the moment, especially the top, the top boys, are specialists with that car. Um, and for people like Fabrizio Giovinardi and Alain Menu that came in last year, you know, they worked hard with the car, they were getting there but they weren't straight on it like the other boys. And I think Andy might find the same for a little while. He'll, he'll need to get used to the car uh, and learn the job. You know, Rob Collard has been in the car for a long time at West Surrey. He'll be very good in that car um, because oh. he'll be the old boy in the team. So I do think be, it's... Sorry, Jim, go ahead. He'll be interested to see what happens. I, I do think it's important for, for British motorsport generally to have a strong British Touring Car Championship. It always has been the thing that's driven British... Uh, British National Motorsport uh, along as, as you've said David you're not leaving that you're keeping your options open you'll be back in the second half of the season with those cars that you've invested so much time and, and development in but if we look back to the, the GT package that you are focusing in on now for Motorbase um, it's a it's a diverse programme that you can do with these GT3 cars now and in some ways that that enhances, and there's the word again, it enhances that business case if you can put in front of somebody the fact that you can go out and race the same car in maybe Blancpain, British GT, pick off a couple of races around the world like Dubai, or even go down to Bathurst if, if you so desire. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the problems with the British Touring Car. You can only use it in the British Touring Car Series. 
um, the Aston the Aston Martin GT3 car we've got, um, we you know we're doing British GTs with it. The minute we finish that at Alton Park in a few weeks' time, we're, in, we're straight down to Monza for the Thursday. We do the Blanc Pan Endurance Series. You know we've got that as well as then we've got a Le Mans race, a Le Mans support race, a purely Aston race in June, which I think you know all about. And yeah. then we've already targeted Abu Dhabi. And as you quite rightly say, Bathurst is not off, off the back of our head as well. I'd like to do all of that and expand the team. And whilst we're not doing British Touring Cars for the first half of the year, it does mean I can put the whole of Motorbase, the whole of Motorbase's crew, every effort just on the GT, pro- GT programme and get 75% of the GT programme done before we go back to Touring Cars. So there's a lot of plus side to the, to the downside of not doing British, British Touring Cars this year. But I would rather be doing the British Touring Cars, certainly, but I'm going to look for the plus points and not the negative points. Yeah, completely agree. Richard Leach has just tweeted in, uh, David, and I'll ask you the question, have you got your full driver line-up sorted for British GT and Blancpain uh, this year? Yes, we have. Um, we, we, we're aiming to try and run a second car in Blancpain Endurance, uh, whether that's for the full season or it's on the basis of one-offs, you know, that's such as a 24-hour and a 6-hour and so on. So that car hasn't got drivers. Um, but the rest of the, the British lineup has. We've got all three sets of drivers for British GTs. There's one set to announce, which we're going to hold on to press day. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've got a Blanc Pan lineup sorted for the one car we've actually entered so far. And that will be uh, Ahmed Al Harthy, Daniel Lloyd, and Johnny Adam joining us. So, yeah. I'm very happy with that lineup. Um, Strong, mate. You know, as you know, Johnny was a motor based driver in British touring cars a few years back. And I think he's, he's grown in stature massively. Um, he's, you know, he's a very, very good Aston Martin driver now and a very good guy to work with. Um, Ahmed Al Harthy, as you know, we've been working with for a few years and again, a great guy, really good driver that's going forward and learning, getting faster. And then now we've got Dan Lloyd joining him in British in place of Michael Kane, unfortunately, but, uh, and, and in Blancpain. And Dan Lloyd is a very big talent. You know, I think um, from the point of view of he's come through Carrera Cup, I'm a, I'm a great one for sourcing drivers from Carrera Cup because that's part of the world I know. But he was a Porsche scholar in Carrera Cup for two years, and you don't back a driver for two years as a manufacturer if he hasn't got a talent level that's a bit special. So I think in Dan we've got a very special young driver. In, in Ahmed we've got a great, great progressing driver. And with Johnny we've got the finished article. So, you know, that trio's great. I'm really happy with that. In British GTs, our other pairing at the moment is, is Rory Butcher and um, Liam Griffin. Liam was with us in touring cars. He came and did a bit of GT last year, really, really enjoyed it. I think Liam could, has the potential to be one of the best amateurs out there. And Rory Butcher, I think, is, is a very, very good young driver who's getting faster and faster. And I think he did um, Daytona this year, actually. He joined Damien Faulkner, who was another motor-based driver from years ago, um, in the 24-hour. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. We, we like the young drivers for the mixture of talent, but we also like to get some good, fast amateurs as well. I think we've got the balance right. So we'll see how it goes. James Foster's just tweeted in, David, and said, any chance of seeing Matt Jackson in an Aston Martin soon? He, he's the sort of driver who might well uh, have a future in endurance racing, isn't he? Good God, he's a touring car driver. He'd be bumping into things. <laughs> I don't know if we can allow that. You, you <laughs> I, think, I think Matt's, Matt's a great driver. I mean, obviously, he's been with Motorbase for five seasons. He's a very talented driver. You never know with Matt where he'll crop up. I mean, at the moment, he's committed to the touring car series with us. Um, but let's see what happens we'll keep an eye on that one and see how we go uh, I know that whatever you do you'll do at the, the absolute top of your game uh, David because that's the only way that you guys go racing and British GT this year is looking very very competitive indeed you know how to win in that championship it's a, a situation that we 
are reveling in, I guess, in the UK at the moment to have such a strong national GT championship. Absolutely, we're going to be arguing over the garages at Alton Park. I think I've got two in the garage and one behind at the moment. So you know, the grid's full. Um, credit to SRO and Benjamin at SRO in the UK. He's done a great job. You know, he used to phone me every year, say you're going to come GT racing. I used to say no, I'm staying with Carrera Cup, and he'd phone me the following year, and the same thing had happened again. And he phoned me in 2012, and I went, "Oh, go on, then we'll do it." And, and that, we've not looked back from that. Um, we came out in 2012, year one, with Daniele Perfetti and Michael Kane, and won the championship. Um, and not looked back. We've been in there for three years, and each each season we've come to an end. We've been in with a chance of a championship. Two out of three, we've won one. So I'm really enjoying British GTs, and, and that's why I want to expand the GT team and you know, even get as far as America one day would be nice. Um, and even getting involved with a manufacturer, that's only obviously any business's dream. So we'll keep working towards those dreams and see what happens. You mentioned Michael Kane there. Has Kane finally hung up his helmet? Has he, has he given no. it up now? Good grief. No. I mean, the only reason Michael's not in the car is, I mean, Michael's a great motor-based driver. He's, he's part of the fabric of the team, and I, and I really will get him back in the team as soon as I can. But the licensing and the regulations of, of the, the driver grading changed in the UK. So where Michael was a, a gold and Armid was a silver and we'd carry a weight penalty, that was no longer allowed. It, it's now, you know, it's got to be silver, silver bronze, silver, silver. There's no silver gold. Unfortunately, in the UK, Michael's a gold. In, in, in Europe, he's a silver. So it's one of those things. But the rules are the rules and we have to play by them. So Michael loses out a little bit at the moment. But he's not done. He's going to do the Ginetta series this year on the total package to keep his hand in. Um, and he gets on well with plastic cars normally. So we'll see how he goes. His, his history is TBR, as you know. So let's see what happens. He'll, he'll have his work cut out in that. That is the Super Cup. It's a very competitive series. I did a couple of rounds of that uh, last year. The good news for me is I am, in fact, a Play-Doh plasticine driver. I'm not even into the uh, into the metal stage yet. So if you ever need anybody to, to <laughs> Well, I, to did help. Quite, I did quite try and explain to Benjamin at SRO that Michael was a tarnished gold. Leave him alone. Make him a silver. <laughs> but it didn't work. Um, no, I, I, he's, uh, he's getting old. Bless him. But no, from the point of view of the Ginetta series in the UK and the Toka package, it's a very, very good series. The cars are great. They sound great. And I think there's quite a few good drivers in there this year. Like there are most of the support packages on the Toka package. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how he gets on. Uh, final question for you, David. You mentioned the Aston Martin Festival at Le Mans. Uh, we're hopefully going to see you uh, out there with a, at least one, maybe a couple uh, of the, your motor-based cars. But Le Mans, if you're into sports cars, Le Mans and the 24 Hours is something that pretty much everybody has got in their sights. Even if it's a bit further down the road, is that something that, that you're interested in? Or, or are you quite happy at the, at the level that you guys are at at four and two-hour races in the, in the regional championships? No, no, anyone's dream. If you're going to be in GT racing, you want to get to Le Mans. We're hoping to have all three of our cars at Le Mans in the support race, obviously, to support Aston Martin, because obviously it's a great opportunity they're giving us as teams to go and do that, and it's an, it's an opportunity we can pass on to the drivers. But ultimately, for any business, you know, if you get the chance to do the Le Mans 24-hour, it's got to be done. And I love 24-hour racing, and I think that would be just something very special for our business. So let's hope we get there. Oh, motor base at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Now, that is something I would be happy to stay around for. David Bartram, thank you very much for your time at Monte Blanco and this evening. We wish you the best in all your endeavours this year with those lovely Aston Martins. Thank you, John. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Always a great guest to have on the telephone. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's uh, just coming up to 20 minutes past uh, 9 o'clock in the UK, 20 minutes past 5 here uh, in Florida. Slightly overcast uh, at the moment, but uh, still 
haven't had any of the rain that was forecast for later on today or perhaps sometime tomorrow. Clear forecast for the weekend and IMSA Radio across all of the action, of course. Uh, you listen to Midweek Motorsport Series uh, 10, episode 12, the one where I'm broadcasting from a small water cupboard at Seabreak. Tim Brake is up in London. Where are you taking us next, Tim? I thought we'd uh, try and have another uh, guest. Oh, right, you are you're spoiling us this evening, Mr. Ambassador, <laughs> pushing them out as quickly uh, as possible. This this uh, is the one that I am most nervous about. Oh, uh, really? Yes. Because you don't know whether they'll... I don't know whether they'll answer the phone or not. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's try this out. Good evening and welcome to Midweek Motorsport, the man at the head of Nismore Global. It is Darren Cox, I hope. Darren, good evening. Evening, John. Yes, the technology works. Uh, Darren, thank you for coming on to the show this evening. Uh, we will get straight down to business. Uh, you've had a very busy week, a very busy few months, actually. And uh, on, when was it? Uh, Tuesday, uh, right about four o'clock UK time, you let all the fans know what your change of plan is for the GT RLM for 2018. 15. We won't see the car racing now until uh, Le Mans. We've had, as you might imagine, uh, a huge amount of correspondence about this. Take us through what the, the thought process was and what predicated uh, the, the change of plans, Darren. Well, I think the uh, first thing, John, is uh, clearly this year that the focus has always been Le Mans. Um, it's um, a huge uh, endeavour, as Porsche saw last year, to get two cars in your first year to Le Mans um, in fact we're going for three so uh, you know this is a, a big ask for any manufacturer we saw a couple of years ago obviously Toyota opting out of the first two rounds uh, of the championship as well as going to Le Mans this is not unusual um, obviously it wasn't in the plan um, and you know we're disappointed that uh, we're not uh, making it to Silverstone and Spa but uh, we think under circum, uh, current circumstances, the, the best sporting uh, uh, reason is to, is to go directly to uh, to Le Mans for us. So, um, yeah, we we made a, a decision. Uh, we, we you know we've been focused very much on the fans over the last few years. We made a decision to make the announcement directly to the fans and uh, on on Twitter and social media. And uh, of course, there is some disappointed fans out there, but uh, hopefully, they appreciate the, our openness and. Uh, our willingness to, to engage with them um, on social media and on, on uh, forums like yours and, uh, and on Radio Le Mans this evening. Well, and we'll, we'll talk about potentially, particularly the, at Silverstone, some uh, of the things that you're going to do to to make sure that the this end and the Nismo experience continues there. A, a, a lot of speculation about why the decision was made now, uh, particularly around the homologation of the car. Darren, what can you tell us? What light can you shed on that? Yeah, and these things are um, to get a, a brand new car out to uh, a championship is fiendishly difficult, as we've seen um, a number of teams in other championships finding, uh, and in fact in our own championships as well, uh, over the last couple of years. You can look at Formula One, um, you can look at uh, the World Endurance Championship in LMP2, um, you know, over the last couple of years, new cars not arriving when they should do. So, you know, this is not um, an easy process. You know, behind the scenes, there is a huge amount of work to be done to get the homologation in place uh, for any standard car. And as I mentioned, you know, LMP2 um, uh, as well. 
then you add to that the complexity of an LMP1 car, um, and then you add uh, a massive curveball of the fact that the rules weren't really written to have a car with an engine um, at the front. So um, obviously it's been reported that we had a, a crash test failure, which uh, is not the first and won't be the last manufacturer to do that. Um, just most of them don't tell you that they've, they've failed it. Uh, that meant a two-week delay effectively. We've uh, remade uh, or, or re-engineered the, uh, the, the tub um, to uh, attempt to pass that, which we're very confident about next week. Um, but, you know, there are another of other things that we have to fix uh, on the car for the homologation. And, um, you know, we basically uh, got to a point where uh, we weren't able to make the deadlines uh, to uh, race at, uh, at Silverstone. You effectively have to have your homologation finished 30 days before scrutineering starts. So, um, yeah, we, uh, we, we effectively ran out of time. So um, it's a shame. Um, I've got to say that the FIA and ACO have been massively supportive uh, from day one. Uh, when we, we presented this car to them um, and in recent weeks uh, when we've got to this point um, they've been very supportive but of course they are the guardians of the rules so they can't yes. let us get away with um, things that uh, other manufacturers have been pulled up on in in, uh, in the past and certainly in some cases having to reinterpret the rules uh, because uh, we've got the engine in a different place to everybody else so you know there's a lot of head scratching uh, which has meant, you know, a bit of uh, re-engineering on our side and a bit of rethink and a redesign um, to enable us to, uh, to you know, uh, get to the rules in the way that they're interpreted by the, by the authorities. So if you add all that lot up, um, basically, yeah, we've uh, not hit our homologation deadline um, and uh, it's meant that we've uh, had to make a decision to, um, to miss the first two rounds. Yeah. In retrospect, uh, you know, we, as I say, we're very focused on Le Mans from a sporting point of view. This is probably, um, you know, a, a better bet for us um, to focus our efforts on, on Le Mans. You know, I'm on record uh, on Radio Le Mans and with, with Daily Sports Car and, and uh, with Marshall saying we would be massively compromised at Silverstone. You look at the relative pace of Porsche um, at, at Silverstone last year. Um, you know, running uh, abstentiously uh, uh, Le Mans aero package. Ours would be a full Le Mans aero package. It would have worked at the good old Silverstone when there wasn't a twiddly bit in the middle, but um, now <laughs> with the slow stuff, um, you know, we would be compromised. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we wanted to uh, support the championship. We wanted to support the fans. Um, so, you know, we wanted to um, run in the full championship. That's not, you know, we're not able to do that now. It means that we can focus on our prep uh, for Le Mans and uh, go directly there. Not bad making your debut at uh, the world's greatest race, I guess. No, indeed. And uh, a couple of people, including Mitchell Legg, saying uh, clearly the best thing to do is to race a car at a track that it's designed for rather than the, the one it isn't, rather uh, echoing what you've, you've said. Uh, a, a question that I, a number of people have asked, and um, I don't want you to give necessarily give specifics here, but a number of people asking whether the crash test issue was as a result of the engine being at the front of the car and the car being front-wheel drive. No, I don't believe that to be the truth. No, completely not. Completely not. Right. Okay, that, that, I wanted to get that out but, of the way. I mean, again, in, in all honesty, it was a, a front uh, roll hoop uh, test, which is from above rather than from the front. So um, yeah, whether, wherever the engine was, unless it was on top of the tub, it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> 
Um, now, we mentioned uh, about Silverstone. Uh, obviously, a lot of British fans have a lot of affinity with this programme, not least because of what you and your close team, Ben Bowlby, uh, and the other guys uh, have done and with the success of, of the other uh, Nismo projects in the UK. And quite, some... a few, uh, quite a few British drivers as well. Which well, indeed, by design, yes. But, um, we ended up so, with, uh, I think it was four uh, in the end. I saw quite a few disappointed fans coming along to Silverstone for the, the WEC, but you will have a car in the garage there and there will be a Nismo presence at Silverstone, won't there? Yeah, we're, we're working on all this. Obviously, this is you know um, very uh, early in the decision process, but you know one of our first thoughts uh, was um, about the fans, obviously. That's always been our approach um, in, in the last few years to make sure that we're supporting the fans and open with them. If anyone's seen our activation at, at Le Mans, they'll know what I'm talking about, and we wanted to carry that over to some of the rounds in the WEC. So uh, we're working on that, but yeah, we will have... Um, uh, a car on display um, somewhere at Silverstone, we're hoping uh, in the garage and we'll have key personnel uh, on site uh, during the race weekend and around the race weekend um, to uh, to engage with the fans and probably in a way, because the drivers aren't distracted by driving cars around the circuit, you might even get more access to them, so um, yeah, we'll, we'll work on that and um, yeah, hopefully the, the fans, are, obviously it's nice that they're disappointed in a way it's great that they wanted to see us race there but hopefully we can get them uh, closer to uh, to key personnel and answer some of their questions to whet appetite a bit more for for Le Mans. I'm, I'm just going to read you uh, a couple of uh, tweets that have just come in, DC, just to to let you know the the sort of feeling that's coming back. Uh, Dusty M has has tweeted in one of the reasons. Uh, it sounds like one of the reasons for the GT. Uh, Le Mans project from Nissan delays the reason we love sports car racing because it's different uh, and uh, also Alfred Wallace saying uh, delighted to hear that there's a possibility of a GTRLM at Silverstone I would love to see one even if it's on display rather than not at all so I think you've I think you've got the the the, the temperature of the the fans uh, certainly there uh, straight away um if the program gets back on track, says Jason Blake, would you, Jason Blake, excuse me, Jason, would you be prepared to look at it and and perhaps take a car to Spa, or is that decision now locked in? And we'll see you at Test Day, and then at the, the 24 hours of Le Mans. Yeah, we, we, it's locked in. It would be exceedingly tight to get to Spa, even if we hit all of our um, uh, timings now. And of course, uh, we're uh, again. Uh, not only have we got the engine in the wrong place, you, you could argue we've, we've got our team in the wrong place. We actually think we've got our team in the right place, by the way. Um, you know, we're in the US, so by the time we pass crash tests and uh, and, and get homologations finished, etc., we're you know we've got another uh, you know few days to get the the team over to Europe uh, into our base and then out to Spa. So no, we're going to go um, directly to um, to Le Mans in terms of racing. Uh, as I say, we're finalising our our testing schedule. Uh, we, we may well do a, a test in Europe um, before test day, um, depending on how it's going and if we need one. Um, so um, when, once we know that, we'll, uh, we'll let the fans know. But um, it, it won't be at Silverstone. Um, uh, it'll be somewhere a bit uh, further south and sunnier. <laughs> uh, clearly, disappointment uh, in terms of the inability to get the car racing as early as possible. But... 
the rest of the programme, a crash test is a crash test, a homologation issue is a homologation issue. We can kind of, I know that's a disappointment for you, Darren, but we kind of have to in some ways put that to one side. In terms of the rest of the programme, um, where do you feel you are? And a number of people saying, you know, it's a big ask to go to Le Mans and, and make that your first race. But I guess that depends on, on what progress you've made in testing and the, the huge amount of testing that you're doing and that I'm supposing the additional testing that you can now do instead of have to worry about going to racetracks. I think the, I mean, first of all, you used the word at the beginning of the, uh, the thing saying disappointing. I think everyone's disappointed that we're not going to Silverstone and Spa, um, you know, as we um, planned, but we will be going. Of course, at Silverstone, you'll see the debut, debut of the um, LMP3 uh, Nissan with the, um, uh, Janetta uh, chassis, of course, which um, I just heard Dave Bartram uh, um, talking about the uh, keys that are being thrown on a, a bar. So um, I shall mention yeah. that to Lawrence Tomlinson when I see him tomorrow. Um, it'll be in the in the bad books. Uh, we, obviously, we've got LMP2 teams um, in both the LMS and and in WEC. So Nissan have got a strong presence. Uh, you could argue, and I'll have to add it up. Probably more cars uh, on the grid. Um, in fact, someone do that, please. Uh, <laughs> cars on the grid uh, over the Silverstone uh, weekend with our engines in than any other manufacturer. So, you know, if there's any um, uh, you know question of our commitment to, to sports car racing, uh, please see that, and then see the three or four cars that we'll have at uh, Monza at the same time in GT3. So, you know, we're, we're, we're fully committed. You know, we understand the um, uh, the disappointment, but I think what was interesting on on Twitter and, and social media generally and you know, we're all about that. We're not just about issuing a press release and you know, getting on with the next thing. Um, you know, we're engaging with the fans was, you know, a, a understanding uh, of the fans. And obviously people that are listening to this show and, and engaging with you guys on uh, your forums and, and Facebooks and whatever, um, that, uh, you know, an understanding because they've got knowledge of uh, motorsport. And, and that's what we, uh, you know, we really appreciate that. We really appreciate the support of the fans. Um, I, I guess already... We're fans' favourite, which has helped us with this this announcement. Uh, you know, we, we measure the, the the number of people that are engaging, and we think we've got about sixty percent of the noise around LMP1 is around Nissan, which is incredible for a car that's not turned a wheel yet. So, you know, we've got big support from the, from the fans. Um, I wouldn't say it's disappointment. I think it's you know been really positively accepted um, by by the fans. And I've forgotten the question you asked me. Can, effectively, the rest of it was: Can you turn this time that you are not racing into a, even more of a positive by doing additional testing without the pressure of having to get cars to race track and, and perform in front of the public? Well, I think you know when, when you do stand back and you accept that you're not going to Silverstone, um, which is not ideal because we said we would. Uh, when you take a step back and say, "Okay, well, that means that we can do more testing." Uh, you, you, from a sporting point of view, you accept that, and you actually think, uh, you know, it could be uh, of, of significant benefit to us. You know, we could drive around uh, for six hours with two cars at Silverstone on a track that's nothing like uh, Le Mans, or we can go somewhere with some big long straights and, and, and tune our aero um, and, and simulate, uh, you know, Le Mans conditions. So, if you take that into account, um, with the fact that we're the new boys. You know, if it was the second year and we were missing the first two rounds, then, you know, there should be some fingers pointed and some, you know, um, eyebrows raised. But this is the first year. The other guys have got experience. You know, we need to catch up with that experience. And, um, you know, we, we hope to do that during testing. I think you answered this question when you and I talked prior to the Super Bowl launch uh, of the 
uh, LMGT are um, uh, earlier in the year. But Stuart Hart has said, um, and, and it, this is very interesting actually, because I'm getting questions about Le Mans and post Le Mans. People have accepted what you've you've said, and we've already moved on, Darren, which I'm sure is exactly the sort of. Before we do, John, just just to go back to Silverstone, I think. If we haven't already said, or we're not going to say now, you know, we're going to do stuff with with yourselves, um, yeah. and also with da- daily sports car for the fans, you know, for the the hardcore fans that have been supporting us, and I, I recognise Stuart's name from from Twitter. Hello, Stuart. Um, uh, you know, that, that can engage with you and us uh, around the Silverstone weekend. So, um, you know, uh, uh, sorry, British fans, but um, you know, we will do stuff uh, with your favourite endurance radio station and uh, website, dailysportscar.com. So, you know, we'll, we'll do stuff um, with you guys to make sure that the fans are fully informed and, you know, making up a little bit for the fact that we're not going to that race. Um, so, yeah, post Le Mans and post Le Mans. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 it, that, that's fine. I, I think it's interesting and it sort of underlines what you're saying about the understanding and the level at peop- which people who follow our part of the sport uh, um, understand and immerse themselves in the race. Uh, I think, as I say, you've, you may have answered this already, will there be a high downforce kit ready for post Le Mans? Uh, the, the, the Nürburgring round after Le Mans should be a huge event, especially with the news of no Formula One round in Germany this year. Yes, we will have a um, uh, post-Le Mans aero package uh, with, with we'll wind some downforce on the thing. So, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely coming. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's for us guys, and we've said this before, based in, in the US, having another European round um, isn't ideal from a logistics point of view. But to have uh, Audi and Porsche going head-to-head uh, on the Nürburgring, um, you know, and, and us coming in as spoilers, and by the way, the um, the Japanese team that's also based in Germany uh, driving up the road to be there. I think it should be yeah. a, a real brilliant event. Um, we all love the Nurburgring, uh, both uh, both formats, and uh, yeah, I think that'll be uh, that'll be a great event. Uh, Twenty four Nissan powered cars out of sixty eight in the WEC and ELMS across the Silverstone weekend, says Dan Hounsel. Yeah, we might have to check that calculation. He says, but uh, listen, I'll take I'll take that, and and so will DC. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, at the moment, uh, this this is a complex and complicated project, Darren. Um, the lead time for it is never long enough, quite honestly. But again, let's let's put the, this issue to one side. How do you feel right now? The, the the project has progressed in terms of its performance, the miles you've done, the kilometres you've done under testing, and if you like, proving the concept because that was something that. A lot of people turned their noses up when they heard what you were going to be doing with the car, front engine, uh, essentially uh, front-wheel drive car. I mean, I don't want to say too much um, because obviously we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're still working on, on things. But what's actually interesting is the, people that, the things that people were worried about, both our side and uh, the, the, the fans, actually aren't problems. Um, right. we're, we're, we're actually finding other problems, which means we're probably pushing the envelope uh, elsewhere. So, or we've worried about the problems that we thought we were going to have, and we've you know out-engineered uh, from the car. So, um, if you can want to guess what they are, we, we you know, for example, anyway, I, I won't say, but you know, some of the things that people have been saying uh, are an issue with the car are, just aren't an issue. So, um, uh, of course, in, in any development of any car, there's always something um, that you've got to work on, or some things that you've got to work on, and we're just working through those uh, and making sure that uh, we're in the best possible position 
as usual, um, you know, like any team, whether it be Honda and F1, um, whether it be uh, Mana, whether it be um, uh, Honda in LMP2, you know, the, the season comes too quickly. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've, we would love a, another few weeks, I'm guessing, when we get to Le Mans to do some other stuff. But we, we know when it is, it doesn't move. Um, and we'll be in the best possible position in, in 2015 uh, for, for, you know, to, um, to, to show... Uh, those doubters are out there, and there are a lot less than there have been on the other two projects we've had, by the way, in terms of doubters. Yeah. Um, that um, actually this this concept uh, does work, and uh, you know that we're we're uh, we're there and thereabouts for the guys um, that have been there for a number of years. I'm going to let you go in a second, but a couple of specific questions. Uh, and again, this uh, again is just moving the conversation forward. Uh, although James Foster actually referring back to something he said in that interview that hour that disappeared very quickly of both of our lives uh, uh, before the launch of the car. Uh, you were mentioning the fact that you guys were playing around with things like tyre sizes, working with your tyre suppliers. Have you settled on a tyre size yet, or is that something that you are still quote-unquote experimenting with. You don't have to tell us what it is, but that was one of the things that you mentioned that was still being investigated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hello, James, another uh, regular on uh, on my Twitter feed. Um, yeah, I, we tested uh, those eagle-eyed of you uh, that were looking at uh, photos from um, uh, Sebring with a notice we're using 18-inch um, uh, wheels um, at... Uh, uh, at that test on the front, and uh, there's there's a number of reasons uh, for that. Uh, one of them is obviously we are the only ones using the other um, tyre size, which means there isn't the spread of compound uh, for us yet um, to test the uh, the compound. So the easiest way is to run uh, the tyres that other people are using because there is a range of compounds uh, for those. Uh, of course, those tyres aren't designed for our car. You know, they're designed for a, uh, a car that's got 50/50 weight distribution. Ours is slightly different to that. Um, and you know it's not ideal, but it does give us an idea in terms of um, some of the criteria of, of, of the tyres. So uh, yeah, that that's uh, we are experimenting. I mean, genuinely, this is a prototype. Uh, you know, yes. we are we are trying things out. There isn't a reference. You can't go and have a look at what Audi did three years ago and, and try that. You know, it's uh, it, it's all experiments. And uh, the the difference is uh, when we do try something, we find a chunk of time. You know, we 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 are finding chunks. We're not finding tenths here and there. We are finding seconds here and there. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's massively encouraging. Uh, and the fact that we've still got someone, I think it's 86 days, um, <laughs> if I'm right in saying. Uh, you know, Don't. we've still got, uh, you know, uh, that amount of time to find, um, you know, uh, uh, time uh, for Le Mans. Uh, Sebastian Tenkarte says, uh, tell us a little bit about the engine. Why is it slightly smaller in capacity than the one in, in the GTR? Still a V6, still a turbocharged engine so very much in keeping with the uh, the road car of, of the GTR uh, but but not lifted from the road car Darren though is it? No no it's um, a bespoke um, ground up uh, engine of course there's loads of rumours before the uh, the start I should go back and see who got that wrong because uh, apparently it was going to be a um, Renault Formula 1 engine and then it was going to be two Zeod engines bolted together and um, all sorts of crazy ideas basically blank sheet of paper what's the best solution we think um without taking something off the shelf you know we could have you know, gone with a, a super gt um flat four um uh, from from the gt500 car we could have gone with uh, a, a multitude of v8s that we got on the shelf as Toyota as, as have got but you know we're taking this seriously we're not just going to take something out of the past and stick it in the car for the engine specifically and the packaging 
this engine was the right one. And, and uh, you know, in terms of um, uh, capacity, power versus efficiency, uh, three litres uh, comes out of the magic number. So um, that's why it's there. Uh, you know, uh, people accuse us of uh, doing this for marketing uh, purposes. If we did, we put a three foot eight in it and tell the engineers to be quiet. But you know, we're trying to we're trying to do a good job at Le Mans. So we put uh, you know the best engine possible, which was a, a three litre. Um, a number of people picking up on the fact that you're seeing that the team's based in America. You'll do most of your racing either in Europe or in other parts of the world. Of course, there is one American race in the FIA World Endurance Championship. Um, when you come over to, to Europe and, uh, and do Le Mans and the Nürburgring rounds of the WEC, who looks after the car? Do you bring the whole, uh, the whole team across from the US base or do you have a liaison with someone in the UK or Europe? Uh, we're, we're bringing the whole um, uh, team over to uh, Europe, um, so we'll literally just ship the whole lot out, um, and they'll be based uh, at Silverstone. So, um, uh, you know, very uh, very useful for some of us that live near there. Um, but the, you know, it was chosen because a number of our suppliers are based near there, and uh, you know, we uh, we we know the area very well. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll base ourselves temporarily there for the European season. But it's, it's an interesting one, and, and you know when we've got time, and uh, probably in the off season we can discuss. And I know I've done it before why we're in the US, but for a number of reasons, and that's now looking like a very smart idea. I mean, the only fly in the ointment was the change of uh, calendar. Um, you know, losing the um, the South American round to to, to uh, Germany. Other than that, you know, yes, you know there are a number of races in in Europe, but um, you know there 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 only um, you know, there were only three of them previously, and they were all very. Uh, condensed into a short period, so it worked. Uh, that means, you know, Audi effectively, you know, plonk themselves back over the other side of the Atlantic and do a load of testing in, in the winter. So, um, yeah. you know, um, it, it's uh, six of one and a half a dozen of the other. Uh, final one from the fans, and then we'll let you go. Uh, and again, just underlining, I think, the fan favourite uh, tag that you mentioned earlier on, Andrew Cooksley, uh, who's uh, a Kiwi, he said, uh, Is there any chance you could bring a demo car? To the Pukahoki, uh New Zealand V8 Supercar round in November because we don't get to see these cars down here. You've got fans all over the world, Darren, and they all want to see this car and they want to see it succeed. That that I mean, I'm not asking you necessarily to answer that specifically that Andrew's asked, but that must be uh, a great feeling for you at this stage of the of this project. It is, and uh, you know, I'd like to say thanks to everyone um, for for your support. Um, it really is appreciated. Um, and you know we'll we'll continue to uh, talk to you and, uh, and and answer your questions as much as we can as, as we go forward. But of course, you know uh, when you talk about V8 again, and I must do some calculations at some point when uh, when I got a few moments. You know our commitment to motorsport around the world is is significant and growing. Um, obviously with uh, with our V8 program uh, down there, four cars in that, in that championship um, and extending. Uh, our reach in terms of GT3, we might have missed it in the in the noise of LMP1, but we announced a pretty well challenge program in GT3, the, the first proper GT3 program that side of the the pond. Um, we've announced uh, recently a, a program in ADAC Masters. We've announced more cars in the Nurburgring uh, 24 hours. Um, so yeah, a, a number of programs. I'm really excited about LMP3 as well. I think that's going to be um, a fantastic championship, a fantastic stepping stone. We've got some more news around that coming. Uh, even this morning, I'm struggling to keep up, to be quite honest. Uh, we announced um, that Jan Mardenborough is doing the um, uh, GP3 season uh, with Carlin, so effectively Alex Lynn's seat 
um, at Carlin that uh, that Jan's in. And and Matt, I know we're all sports car fans, um, uh, but if you've got you know a couple of thirty minutes um, on on uh, Grand Prix weekends to watch some racing, um, please tune into a very good sprint race, uh, GP3. Because one of your endurance drivers is there, Jan Mardenborough, and the great thing about that championship when you look down the entry is we've got a Nissan Junior, if you like. His teammate is a Ferrari Junior. Um, yeah. We've also got, apparently, the guy that's better than uh, Verstappen, um, Ocon, who's currently a Lotus Junior, might not be for long, um, being courted by other Formula 1 teams. That is going to be a fantastic challenge uh, for Jan to, um, to go and take on um, those guys. And, uh, you know, we reckon he'll have a good shout. So... From Australia with V8 to uh, Europe with um, LMP3s uh, to GT3 um, in, in uh, the US and, and Germany. You know, I'm very excited. Uh, I know we're focusing on the Mon, but I'm very excited about uh, Nürburgring 24 hours uh, this year. Um, and, uh, you know, also then when you get later in the year, Spa 24 hours, etc. So you, you mentioned to Dave earlier about um, GT3. Uh, what a fantastic formula that is, you know, yeah. and uh, of course I would say that, and uh, I can't go without saying, um, you know, what a great result we had at Bathurst with, with that uh, with that car. So, yeah, a, a, an exciting year for Nissan. Um, I, I would say this is a, a slight uh, hesitation, um, you know, but um, we're, we're cracking on and we've got a lot going on. And uh, again, we hope to engage with the fans on, on different levels and different championships. I've, uh, I've just had this tweeted, which I, I'm going to relay to you. I've retweeted it. Uh, Andrew H. Uh, uh, Andrew, thanks for tweeting this in. I'd rather have 20 minutes of Darren Cox than 20 seconds of Christian Horner. Missing two races due to tech and hasn't mourned once. Uh, yes, was well, that, uh, that's... Sorry, who, who was that tweeting? Was that Jerry Halliwell? No. <laughs> 20, 20 minutes of Darren Cox rather than 20 seconds of... Um, um, but, uh, yes... <laughs> That reminded me of, of my most amusing chat. I was unfortunately, or fortunately, um, obviously we we got the news out um, yesterday, and uh, you know I've, I've got to make sure that all the uh, the time zones are covered. So I was I was trying to do a, a 24-hour simulation um, yesterday, um, and I, I caught up on on Twitter, and someone who was um, he might be listening now uh, was was trying to be a bit cheeky. Um, and said, you know, basically uh, wasn't particularly positive about what we were doing, but I think he was just he didn't expect uh, me to respond or anyone from Nissan to respond. He said, if you do one lap at Le Mans, I'll buy the whole team a beer. So that was very quickly retweeted with a couple of the team members uh, tagged in it, and uh, now we're going to hold him to it. So, uh, you know, uh, be careful uh, if you're going to be cheeky with us. We will respond, especially <laughs> when there's beer involved. No, I like it. Uh, finally, for me, a broad broader question uh, we, we've not managed to talk about Nismo Roadcast but we'll, we'll do that another time um, but a broader question um, that, that a number of people have been asking recently and I, I know that you've got some, some thoughts on this with the situation in Formula 1 at the moment and we've just seen Guido van der Garde not being able to take his seat he's come away with a, a lot of money but nowhere to drive poor lad um, with Adrian Soutil uh, Max Chilton uh, who's been wandering around there's a lot of drivers who have got budget to go racing and can't get their backsides in a Formula One car. Are we looking at such a golden age of sports cars now, Darren, that those guys are knocking on manufacturers' doors saying, come on, run another car, let's have four cars, five cars at the Mans, three cars, four cars in the World Endurance Championship because I've got good sponsors, I've got good personal finance and we can make this work worth your while and we believe we can do a job for you. Are we at that situation now or is that situation just around the corner? 
Someone needs to go into your um, archive of, uh, of, of podcasts and find out this conversation we had 18 months ago, John, and in fact a year <laughs> ago as well. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and we did a calculation, I think it was you and I or you and uh, me and Graham, um, you know, how many drivers are actually being paid in Formula One? You can you can make a guess. There, there'll be a, a spread of what people think uh, who's being paid and what being paid means, and then add up the amount of drivers that are being paid at Le Mans. And, and I, I think we added up. We mm-hmm. thought at Le Mans there were 68 drivers that were being paid to be there. Um, now that's that's slightly different. And you've seen already. Um, I mean, I was calling it the uh, the Brendan Hartley effect. I should now call it the Harry Tinkle effect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people that are jumping from single seaters into sports cars. And, you know, were paying for their drivers in the lower formula and are now being paid um, to be with manufacturers. And, you know, uh, we've seen another one, uh, Yaloli, um, uh, jumped across uh, with Jota. You know, uh, what, a, what a good seat to, to get for him. Um, obviously, he was in GP3 um, last year uh, against Jan. Uh, there are other examples um, of that. And I think I said it a year ago, uh, and, and I had a discussion, I remember, in the Monza paddock with a number of single-seater team owners, including... You know, Trevor Carlin and um, uh, Gary Horner, uh, and saying, guys, you need to get yourselves a sports car team because you need to have an outlet uh, for, for these guys. And, and there is talk of, and we put people in touch with each other, of single-seater teams sort of creating a, a ladder into sports car racing with established sports car teams. So absolutely, it's happening. Um, it, was, it was obvious it was going to happen 18 months ago, um, and it's stronger. And, um, you know, we, we've got the benefit of, you know, having Harry um, on board, you know, he's only done one th- one year of, of uh, sports car racing, but he dominated. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's great to see that uh, people are seeing a professional uh, route to um, uh, racing through, uh, through sports cars. So long may it continue. As we keep saying, John, uh, I think you might have coined the phrase, uh, what an excellent feeder series that Formula One is for the WEC. <laughs> Yes. Well, that was we did. We did actually do, and if Lin, if Lindsay's listening, we can retweet from uh, from the Mismo handle. We actually did a uh, infographic, which is the cool word for a chart these days, uh, <laughs> on uh, what the, what the percentage of people. Uh, it was based on a, a Graham Goodwin um, uh, article uh, that had come from Formula One when we announced um, uh, Max Chilton that was coming. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've got Max and and Mark and Michael, by the way, who have all got Formula One experience somewhere along the line. Um, and and you know, we've got a great uh, mixture because we've got um, Ollie Plar and uh, and Harry that have got experience in LMP2 as well as, as Jan Jan having experience of GT and uh, single seaters uh, our our, our, our favourite uh, secret weapon uh, Buncombe yeah, coming yeah. from GTs and and uh, Lucas coming from all sorts so um, and of course Matt Suda coming from GT500 uh, so a real good mixture you know there's not one route into WEC um, and I, do you know what I like as well, and I'm now wittering, aren't I? But I'm going to give someone else some credit uh, rather than blowing the Nismo um, uh, trumpet. I love the third car lineup at Porsche. Mm-hmm. I think for I think it's a brave move, and I think, but actually, that could be the car that you've got to watch out for at Le Mans. I mean, we all know about Hulkenberg. If you've been following sports car racing, which everyone listening now would have done, we all know about Tandy. Um, yeah. And if you followed Earl, Earl Bamber's career, you think that's a very, very sensible uh, choice. And the fact, and we all, we all uh, think uh, Fred Makovicki is a, is a superstar, the fact, mm-hmm. the fact that those two kept him out 
must show everybody how good they are. That is a yeah. great lineup. And the great thing for me is that the two guys are from GT racing. Yes, they've done single seaters, but their most uh, recent stuff is, is, is via GT. So, um, you know, hats off to Porsche for, for thinking slightly outside the box. Not as much as us. They got a little bit to <laughs> Of course and, not. And, and, the, and, the, and, and the funny thing is, I spoke to um, Holger, who uh, is the um, head of PR for Porsche uh, LMP1 at the um, Geneva Motor Show. He actually drove for Nissan. Uh, back in the day in um, in the Nürburgring 24 hours, and he said, and I, I apologise for our German listeners, you may have won the battle off the track, but you would not win it on it. So, uh, as a, from a PR point of view, uh, he recognised we were we were doing a good job, but uh, you know the competitive juices came out. So, hats off to Porsche for that. You know, it really is uh, uh, lining up to be a brilliant Le Mans. Uh, DC, thank you, thank you very much. We'll ask you about LMP2 another time because I haven't got another hour uh, on the show <laughs> tonight and the change is coming in seven days. I'm happy to come on and talk about that because I think the, the, the class is fantastic at the moment and I know a lot of your listeners have got a lot of opinions uh, about where it's going and um, it's certainly something that we should, uh, we should debate and, and discuss. Darren Cox, the man at the head of Nice Moore Worldwide. Thank you for joining us on this week's Midweek Motorsport. Cheers, DC. Brilliant stuff from Darren Cox. Sit back and uh, enjoy, if you've just joined us, the podcast. Uh, David Bartram from Motorbase and Darren Cox from Nismo Global. One of the reasons I like this part of the sport, team is that we get these people to come on and talk and, and talk business sense, sporting sense and they do it with a sense of passion great stuff what have you got for us in the last few minutes well we don't have time for any more guests unfortunately which is a shame (laughs) uh, because we did want to talk to Mitch Evans tonight ah yes uh, and uh, why would we want to talk to uh, New Zealand uh, GP3 driver and friend of Mark Webber Mitch Evans tonight because he has been announced as the third driver at uh, fourth driver it must be wasn't it at uh, at Jota uh, filling in when they lose Felipe Albuquerque uh, for his Audi duties this year around uh, we were hoping careful to get John in. that lorry's reversing yeah hang on can you just leave that one there mate <laughs> get the bins later no get the bins later it's, it's fine um, I've got the door open because it's still warm uh, uh, that was the final piece of the Jota jigsaw wasn't it Tim uh, yes, unless they announce something really surprising, like more cars with more drivers, but don't expect that. No, indeed. Uh, so, thank you to Jota for letting us have the news. Sorry that we couldn't get Mitch on uh, tonight. Time differences and uh, travel schedules, I think, conspiring against us as much as um, uh, very erudite guests in the early part uh, of the programme. Do we have a pointless press release? Of course we do. I'm not going to play the jingle. Okay. So it's um, Well, there's one that I think you've sent this to me because you think it's a pointless press release. Go on, then. Which one is this? Save the date. <laughs> Those things, as soon as you say save the date, there's always a, a little free sort of excitement for me for pointless press release of the week. I always look at my never... diary to see... Hmm, I need to find something desperately to avoid me having to do this and this Mm. is uh, just the day after tomorrow at uh, midday central european time so 11 a.m in the uk or 7 a.m if you're in sebring as you are 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Do I have to get up early? For, actually, I'll already be up. You'll already time, be so up because you start commentating at seven forty or something ridiculous, don't you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, so we're saving the date. The WEC will be announcing their 2015 music yes. ambassador. Uh, this is obviously in response to uh, the official um, theme tune of uh, Formula E or whatever it was that we had a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I'll tell you, yes. Um, that's all that the press release tells us, so I'm a little bit uh, intrigued uh, as to where uh, what what that will be, um, but not enough to uh, want to... Are we going to broadcast it live? It's in the middle of something else, isn't it? Well, maybe oh, not. Shit. No, it's no. It's uh, it's about an hour and a half before we start on that day. Right. Um, uh, my other candidate for pointless press release of the week is uh, at least a pointless headline, uh, which is Andy Scott wins opening round at Croft. Andy Scott wins opening round of what at Croft? Doesn't say, does it? Well, I know that it was the British Rally Cross Championship. Or at least I presume it was. If it had come from uh, the British Rallycross uh, media account, I'd have thought, that's a British Rallycross story. But it didn't. It didn't even come from Croft's media office. Really? No. It came from uh, it came from an agency that used to be owned by Jeremy Clarkson. Well, he may well have to go back to his former work soon as well, won't he? Uh, so is that, is that, that's not the winner either then, is it not? That's, they're joint winners, I think. Uh, okay. uh, but I have one more serious story, uh, which is another sports car story. Uh, the uh, reigning GT4, British GT4 champion, Jake Giddings, uh, yeah. is uh, changing teams and will join Kieran Griffin at JWB Motorsport. Uh, at an Aston Martin Vantage GT4, uh, very similar to the one he uh, won with uh, for Beach Dean last year. That, the GT4 has uh, really exploded, uh, not literally, obviously, that would be very dangerous. Um, it's really expanded in terms of its. That would also uh, be dangerous. In terms of its number of entries, uh, they have increased their number of entries. Okay, you're happy with that? That's another word beginning yes. with um, We have uh, uh, run out of time now, though. Okay, so it just remains for me to say thank you very much to our guest, David Bartram from Motorbase, to Darren Cox from Nismo. Nick Damon was uh, on earlier on as our Formula One and bike correspondent, the responsible adult, and Gearbox Girl was sitting here making sure I didn't keel over uh, from the heat, and our executive producer up and over in London was Tim Gray. Uh, listen in tomorrow as we begin our coverage of the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring presented by Fresh from Florida uh, here on RadioLamont.com some extra coverage here including MX5 and of course on uh, IMSA Radio as well just click the, the clip, click the IMSA tab on the front page and later on the weekend we'll have some sound and vision on the RadioLamont.com site too uh, but sorry there's no time to explain because the llama oh has had a haircut this program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com.